Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Get ready for a workday pick-me-up. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Oh, boys, 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 you continue to outdo yourselves. What a wonderful way to kick off a beautiful day with a little bit of Pearl Jam, eh? It doesn't get a lot better than that. I always remember the Versus album that came out. Listen to it when I was making my Ironman Triathlon World Championship debut in Hawaii in 1993. And I had a rental car on the big island of Hawaii. Stayed in a little place called Waikaloa, just out of the town of Kailua, Kona. And we'd go back and forward for training sessions, open water swims, listening to Versus, listening to that second wonderful album from Pearl Jam to go alongside arguably one of the great albums in 10. Um, amazing the power of music, isn't it? Certain songs, certain music take you back to a certain time in your life, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Ex-girlfriends, great sporting moments. Anyway, I digress. Uh, telephone number here is 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833 if you do wish to phone the programme. The Temper, te- temper Bed Post text machine. Looking forward to getting your thoughts, your input into the show. I say this, I think TalkBack is a better product when you jump on the phone and you are part of it. Interesting there, I was just talking to uh, Smithy and I was sort of just taking the mickey a little bit because he's a mad keen Hotspurs fan and they lost to Manchester City today after being up 2-0 at half time. But I asked him the question how he became a Spurs fan. So I'd like to ask that of you, whether it be your favourite basketball team, NFL team, uh, English Premier League side, how did you become a fan of a certain sports franchise? Now clearly in this country it's a little easier because generally you support the rugby team in the region in which you grew up in or which or you spent the most time in or which was a region that perhaps had the greatest impression on a certain part of your life. So I grew up in Auckland. I'm an Auckland rugby fan. I spent a lot of time living on the North Shore, but I'm still an Auckland rugby fan. But like maybe when it comes to the overseas franchises, when it comes to the American franchises particularly, how did you become a Celtics fan? How did you become an LA Lakers fan, a Chicago fan. Were you young? Were you impressionable? You followed your mates? Was it a situation like Smithies where he was invited along on a New Zealand cricket tour to go and watch a Spurs game and then they basically opened the doors and endeared themselves and suddenly had three new fans for life? 0800 150 is... The telephone number. You can text us here on double eight double three. So I'm a Liverpool fan. And I'll be honest, in the nineteen seventies they won Europe. They were the side to beat. But I'll be honest, when I got into Liverpool, I really wasn't aware of that. I became a Liverpool fan because a mate of mine turned up in a Liverpool shirt and his parents were from that part of the world and I hung out with them and by default I became a Liverpool fan. It was only really until teenage years in the eighties that I started to appreciate the history. And they also happen to be in a golden era. But I've stuck with them through thick and thin. And I imagine there are a lot of kids who have done the same with Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal in the millennium years. I'm always really impressed when I hear people say, oh, no, I'm a Wiccan Wanderers fan or I'm Cheltenham Athletic, Sheffield Wednesday, 
Leeds. And it's not one of those big clubs. It's not, yeah, one of those sort of populist clubs. Uh, so, look, who do you support? Is there anyone out there that supports, fanatically supports maybe some football clubs and sports teams that we're not familiar with, but you can give us a bit of a history on them and tell us why? NHL is another good one. Um, you know, I, I was aware of Wayne Gretzky, uh, aware of the Edmonton Oilers and sort of what he had done. I was aware of the Stanley Cup. I knew the names of most of the NHL franchises. But really, it wasn't there until I studied in there in 97, 98, or was it 98, 99? Um, and I studied in Toronto, Canada, that I became even more aware of the history of the game and I became a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, a Toronto Raptors fan. And I haven't looked back and I started to understand they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. But to this day, I'm a Leafs fan because of it. And I'll never be anything else but. But understanding the rivalry between, say, Montreal, the original six, Chicago, the likes of New York. So 0800 150 is the number. Temper bed post text machine double eight double three. Uh, I was also just having a bit of a debate with Robbie. I uh, put some good arguments forward, but he was wrong. No, was it Robbie? No, it was Kieran, wasn't it? It was you, Kieran, wasn't it? We were just sort of talking about the goat, um, and Kieran came up with some really bizarre logic on why Michael Jordan's not the greatest basketball player ever, um, trying to justify his rationale for it. And he put some good points forward, to be fair. And I always enjoy a good debate. And I'm going to get him on now because he's going to tell me why Michael Jordan is not the GOAT and why perhaps Kobe Bryant or some of these players that followed Jordan are worthy of maybe considered better players than Jordan. So I'm going to throw this one over to you, Kieran, and I'm not going to um, abuse you. I'm not going to cut you off. I'm not going to tell you that you're stupid. I'm going to listen because God gave me two ears and one mouth and he wasn't stupid, Kieran, and I respect you. I appreciate that, Watto. No, pretty much, because we've been having this debate back and forth all week, almost, haven't we? And it's not so much that I'm not saying Michael Jordan's the GOAT. I'm just saying that I don't believe there should be a GOAT. Because, like, Niv, Niv, who's been with us all week, we've got Rubinho in today. Niv made a great point of saying, when you talk about a GOAT, it can either go one or two ways. Rubinho. Rubinho. The great Brazilian. The great Brazilian. Yeah, Rubinho. Uh, Rubinho's on music today as well, and and he started off well, isn't he, Watto? He's brilliant. Never Rubinho, the goat of music. Anyway, Niv, Niv said uh, it's when you look at a goat, you either look at who did it first or who did it the best. And I think Jordan was a great example of who did it first. I mean, we obviously had Chamberlain, Bill Russell, these guys, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, these iconic guys before Jordan. Nothing to take away from them. But what you said yesterday about Jordan taking the game to the next level, and it was a universal uh, level that he took it to. I'm never, I'm never going to deny that because uh, Michael Jordan is a big reason why I support basketball. You know, basketball probably wouldn't be in, as big as it is in New Zealand if Michael Jordan wasn't a thing. But what I'm saying now is is you look at the field between Michael Jordan and the rest of the players in the 90s, the, the Kemp's, the Malone's, you know, these sorts of guys, the Stockton's and the oh, Drexler's. The dream team, the great dream team, those guys that yeah. were that far behind Jordan. No, that's, this is what I'm saying. You, you look at the Michael Jordan versus the field. Michael Jordan was so far ahead of the field. Mm. He dominated everyone. Mm. Michael Jordan is the greatest winner of all time, and I'm not going to in a basketball sense, and I'm not going to take that away so, from him. So you're suggesting that there is greater depth yes. in the league, yes, 
now. I'll I'm argue saying, the depth was always there. Jordan was just such a statistical outlier that he was just that much better than the depth. What I'm, I'm not saying, sure the depth is any stronger now than it was, was it? I think it is because really? you look at so you, you look at the you've got gap. more franchises and therefore you've got more teams, more players, which surely dilutes the quality of each team. What what happened when Jordan left the NBA when he went to the MLB? It was boring, mate. No one cared. Hakeem Olajuwon got a chance to step up. Sorry, it was Patrick Ewing got a chance to step up. But that's exactly right. He was so great. He took so much of the focus. He was such a phenom that anything after... Look, it's a bit like watching the regular season of the NRL, and then you go to State of Origin. You come off the back of State of Origin, and the first few weeks of NRL is pretty boring again. I mean, Jordan was at such another level. No, no. So you take away Michael Jordan, no one could fill the shoes of Michael Jordan. Mm. Right? That holds him up here, and you can say that is why he's the GOAT, because no one could fill the shoes of him. But take this. LeBron James in today's game is considered... The, the goat of the 2000s, you know? But you take away LeBron James. LeBron's 38 right now, and he's still averaging 35 mm. points per game since turning 38. You take him out of the league right now, Kevin Durant's the star. You take Kevin Durant and LeBron James out, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Ja Morant, Jason Tatum. These are all guys. Yeah, but Jordan, but Jordan was so big, so, so big. But if Jordan hadn't have played, there was still would have, someone would have taken that mantle. They would have built a brand around somebody else. Would it have been Scottie Pippen? Perhaps not. Would it have been around um, Malone? Would it have been around... Um, um, I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to go back to the days of you know, yeah, Carl Malone, those types of players. Somebody would have taken the mantra, and then there would have been the number two guy. There would have been the number three guy. When this era that you're talking about is done and dusted, in ten years there'll still be five or six guys that will carry it. No different than the NRL. 30, 30 no different than the other league. Thirty to forty. There's no, going to be thirty to forty Morant's guys. Jamarant's just come along. Where was Jamarant three years ago? There will be another Jamarant that'll come along in the next three or exactly, four years. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. But there was as, always as guys coming through. On, I'm saying that the NBA, the, the level of of NBA is getting better every season. So I'm going to tell you this what it, right now, this day and age is the best NBA basketball we've ever seen because no, of the rubbish. natural athleticism. You can mate go go look Disagree. at go look at Ja Morant versus Michael Jordan. Yeah, but look at this. The, the league is diluted, me, mate. The league is diluted. There is not the quality throughout the teams. You touch a player these days and you go to the three-throw uh, three line. I mean, I'm telling you what are the fifth guy on an NBA roster today and I know I know I've said this before to the afternoon so I'm telling you right now the fifth player on the NBA would dominate in the 90s. Okay, great great discussion. Great discussion. This Karen he's pretty passionate about it. Your thoughts? 0800150811. What defines great? Really? Jordan? Not the greatest of all time? Do you honestly believe today's era is stronger than the era of the 90s and the 90s was necessarily stronger than the era of the 80s? I'm not sure it was. I think there's always been economies of scale. I think there's always been that critical mass. Then you get a guy who suddenly says, well, you boys are conquering Everest. I'm going to go and walk on the moon. Oh, you boys have come to walk on the moon. Hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to jump. I'm going to swim to Mars and I'm going to walk on Mars. And everyone else says, I'm going to try and do that. And halfway across, they end up dying because they're just not in the same league. 0800 150 811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. We are taking your calls. Plenty of texts have come in on why people are fans of certain teams. I would like you to jump on the phone and tell me, but we'll certainly read out those texts next. Keep the text rolling in. And there's a wonderful text that's coming from John. John, you're a poet, my good man. We could put some love songs to behind it. We could read the lyrics of this. And I could fall in love with you, John. I could fall in love with you. Cliff, good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon, Mark. How are you today? Good, thank you. All right, hot day again, down south here again. Beautiful day, beautiful. Yes, good to be out. Stunning up here too. Yeah, yeah well, that's good. Keep it dry. Keep it dry in the north now. We don't know any more rain up there for you fellas. Especially out the east coast there, the Gisborne area. 
feel sorry for them. Been a tough time. Yeah. Now, my my team that I've had for probably oh gosh, forty odd years, West Ham United. Um, a relative of mine, well, my dad's one of my dad's cousin or second cousin used to be the goalie for them in the seventies. Guy called Mervyn Day, and he had long hair, just like we were in those days back in the seventies. He was pretty cool. And they were a cool team back in those days. Billy Bonds, uh, Trevor Brooking. You know, they'd, they'd come through the 60s with guys like Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst. They were a great side, won, won FA Cups. Now they've shifted grounds, you know, to the London Stadium, and it's no feeling. You know, I was talking to a mate of mine who's a Chelsea man, who, who's an Englishman, and he said, he said, well... You know, the London Stadium isn't really in the West Ham area. You know, the local people used to be able to walk down to the ground and sing and sing on the way home if they won. Now they, you know, it's now it's quite a long way away. It's a bit like Carisbrook. You know, Carisbrook was a great stadium to go to in its day, and it was it was a tough place for overseas teams to go and win. But you take away the legendary, and it, it makes it tough. But yeah, Hopefully yeah. West Ham will get out of the bottom three. Yeah, well, I tell you, it's amazing how many people in this country do support West Ham. I'll argue that behind, say, Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea and some of these nouveau teams, and I include Spurs as a very popular side in this country, Arsenal, but it's amazing how many people do support West Ham. It's interesting that you mentioned Mervyn Day because I actually had a shoot magazine and I remember he actually he also played a lot of uh, football too for Leeds United in the mid-1980s. Um, yeah, very, very good goalkeeper. And you mentioned Trevor Brooking. I remember Trevor Brooking came out here and had a stint for North Shore United, actually. And he may have even played a couple of games for Blockhouse Bay uh, back in the 1980s at some point. New Zealand football in those days, I used to be a... I played for Caversham and Dunedin as a junior and played yeah. senior football for them, second division. I used to be a ball boy back in the early... in the mid-70s, sort of early-ish. And, you know, Otago used to play... I think we played um, oh, Sheffield United. Um, I think even one of the Manchester teams might have even come out. But we used to have some real quality sides used to come and play uh, against our boys. And in those days, we had Elf Stamp. And we had some very... Otago was a very good... So Cavi first team was a great side in the mid-70s. I remember, um, in fact, I played golf with the Sun recently. I mean, players like Ian Ormond and... Yeah, it was a it was a very very good era of New Zealand football. I remember going and watching the exhibition game at um, Mount Smart Stadium when Everton came out here in the late nineteen eighties and played Auckland. Yeah, those teams like Christchurch United and all them were they were good. There was quality football. I think a lot of things were a bit different in those days. It was like it was like softball. It was like rugby league. The local competitions were much stronger, and they were in in a lot of different sports like football. Uh, softball, uh, rugby league, um, you know, even athletics. Everything was a bit stronger in those days, 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah, Cliff, I, I don't disagree. I think I think sports evolved here a lot more and our definition of sport is a lot broader. And I think there's a lot more to choose from. I, I think the advent of Sky Television and bringing sport into our living rooms 24-7 um, the plasma screens, the couches have made less people want to go out and, and more people are happy to stay at home and watch it. But, yeah, the definition of sports in the 70s, 80s, 60s was a lot short, smaller. Basketball league was very strong. 
Uh, football, as you mentioned, was strong. And I think sometimes the dangers of when you set up a team like the Wellington Phoenix, it actually becomes the focal point and the club competition tends to suffer because of it. And I think we saw a little bit of the same thing happen with the breakers in the basketball. The good thing is now that the National Basketball League is really, really strong again because there is just so much interest here. And so be careful what you wish for when you look at trying to put teams or franchises into um, Australian competitions. I mean, rugby league, is it stronger with the Warriors in it? Does the domestic game get the coverage that it once did? Does the Fox Memorial have the prestige and the coverage around it that it once did, the Auckland Club comp? Probably not. Rugby league players out of the West Coast getting picked up. Do we have French sides touring here anymore? We don't. And so sport is very different now, Cliff. Um, But look, great call, mate, and I'm really pleased that you're a West Ham man. And um, so, so pleased that you did bring up West Ham United, and you did bring up the reasons why you are a fan of theirs. Thanks, Cliff. Greatly appreciate it. It is 26 minutes after 12, 0800 150 811. Some really good texts that have come in just on the GOAT debate uh, that we're having with Kieran here. Um, so the, the contrasting text, this is Johnny, says, bah! the current NBA, I do that quite well, eh? Bah! I'm not sure if that's a goat or a sheep. The current NBA is the best of all time. Are you smoking crack? There is zero defence in today's game. It's nowhere as uh, physical difficult. Also, what are your producer must be on crack. I'm not sure why we keep using that, but hey. Um, To suggest Kevin Durant is the second biggest after LeBron in the league. Maybe if if this was 210, yes. He's he's passionate, that guy, but tremendously uninformed. That's talking about you, Kieran. Have you ever been described as tremendously uninformed, Kieran? No, but I have now. Yeah, okay, take it on board, mate. Take it as a badge of honour. I've got two ears, Just remember, I? mate, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. I have just come back from living in the States. Kevin Durant wouldn't be in most Americans' top five in the league. That comes from John. Then we get another one. Contrasting, the modern NBA roster is considerably stronger than equivalent roster mark. The evolution of top basketball player follows a similar trajectory of athletes and sports people in every other sporting pursuit. But I'll say this, if that's true, faster, stronger, etc. they say. But... Who forced everybody to make the changes? Who forced everybody to do the work, to do the supplementary work, to do the gym work, to get aerobically stronger, get more athletic, to do the plyometrics? One man, Michael Jordan. Uh, Some texts just coming in on why people support certain teams. I like this one. This is cool. I'm not sure if this is legitimate or it's quirky, but it's true. My NFL team is the Green Bay Packers because my favourite colour is green and I love eating cheese. Now, if you know the Green Bay Packers, they'll have the cheese hats. Um, the there's a, someone sent a link through regarding the rugby world has finally lost all its marbles and they sent the website link through. You might have a look at what that's about. It's something to do with waist-high tackles. Uh, can't argue that Jordan upped the ante to a higher level three times every time he came back to the NBA each time. What I've been a Burnley fan all my life. Started with one of my mates, Dad, who was born there and never looked back. They're struggling now, though. That comes from Ken. Yeah, well, of course, they had Chris Wood there for a while, didn't they? And rumour is that Chris Wood's going to go on loan to Nottingham Forest, away from Newcastle. I've got to say, though, the day they signed Chris Wood, Newcastle started winning. You cannot deny that. The day they signed Chris Wood, 
that team started winning. He hasn't had a lot of game time. He hasn't scored a lot of goals. But the day they signed him, things turned around. Is it that or is it the fact that it's Eddie Howe? Is it the fact that it's owned by a country? Coming up to 29 minutes after 12, we'll take some news, sport and weather with the dulcet tones, the romantic Mr Love Songs to Midnight himself, John McNeil. I was going to get you to fade it down, but you can never get enough of Jeremy. Album 10. How do you surpass Album 10? One of the great albums, isn't it? Bad song on it? Not a bad song on it. Not a bad song on the album. Not a bad song on Appetite for Destruction, to be honest. Not a bad song on Counting Crows, everything in August August and everything after. Tough when they become your sort of your debut selling albums and you've got to somehow try and exceed people's expectations with the next album that you do do. Uh, interesting news regarding Chris Wood. He's starting to sort of, I guess, starting to look a little bit like a, a little bit of a journeyman, I guess, um, with the way that he's bouncing from one team to the next. And I guess some people might label him as that. But do we actually understand just what this guy has achieved? You sort of grow up in the Waikato and you go and you play in the Premier League. You play for Barnsley, Brighton, Bristol, Millwall, Leicester, Ipswich, Leeds, Burnley, and then Newcastle. Now, it very much does read as a a bit of a journeyman. But when you think about the number of kids that play football in this country, that play football in Australia, that play football in the United States, throughout Europe, throughout England... You've got 20 Premier League sides who pick players from all around the world. And this kid grew up in the Waikato. It is really quite unbelievable. No different than Stephen Adams in the NBA. No different than Sean Marks in the NBA. And they just don't quite seem to get the recognition, do they? We tend to take a... You know, we'll take a rugby player and put them up on a pedestal or we'll take a netball player and somehow make out that their achievements from winning some sort of Rugby World Cup or Netball World Cup are superior. And yet the fact that Chris Wood is earning a very, very good living, an extraordinary living, is always a good indicator of how big a sport is versus, say, what others are earning. But, you know, what do the Chris Woods and the Stephen Adams need to do to sort of ever get nominated for Halberg Awards or to be recognised in this country? Because they're never going to be the best in the world, are they? They're not necessarily going to win Olympic Games gold medals because they just simply don't have the team to do that. They might not even win an NBA championship, mind you. I think Stephen Adams got a real shot with his Memphis Grizzlies. But just sort of moving the conversation along a little bit from what your favourite sports teams are and how you became associated with a certain team to what defines the GOAT, and we've had that little discussion. I just want to add this in. Um, who are some of our most underrated sports people of all time that perhaps those that make these decisions when it comes to award times just simply haven't done their due diligence? Or we are so damn insular 
that sports that are really just world famous here and mean nothing internationally, we tend to glamorise and we tend to put those athletes above others who are probably a lot more deserving. 0800-150-811 is the number. Some more texts that have come in. Um, followed, and they've got in brackets formally, mighty Everton since 1980s, purely to be contrary and not follow my flatmates' teams, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. A couple of good um, collects and Ladbrokes helped. Well, they were a hell of a side in the 80s, Everton, FA Cup. Remember the FA Cup against Liverpool? They won the first division a couple of times. I like this way. What I've supported the Trailblazers, Portland Trailblazers, after picking up a book in the late 80s uh, called The Breaks of the Game, which was all about Blazers' only championship-winning team of 1977, reading about personalities such as Kermit Washington, Moses Malone, Bill Walton, just seemed to endear themselves to me. That comes from J.D., yeah, it's interesting because I do a lot. I do quite a bit of that with the music. I'll hear a group, and I'll be honest. I've been doing a little bit with gangster rap, I and mean, later we're going to do a little bit of gangster because I do gangster. I do gangster quite well, but you know, it's a different genre. Um, considering I'm probably more of a classic hard rock guy, who's then mellowed as I got a little bit older. But then you can say, watch a documentary on NWA, and you go behind the scenes, and then you read documentaries on EZE. And you start to gain an appreciation of the artistry. And then you start listening to the music and you start listening to the music differently. And you actually then become a fan. Then you give it a little bit of time and you can actually, you know, you actually say, I actually quite like this. Certain time of the day, certain time of the week, I actually quite like this. And I think that's often the case how people do get involved in sports teams. And we're seeing more and more of these sort of fly-on-the-wall type documentaries coming out about sports teams and athletes. And I'd imagine a lot of people... Wrexham is the one at the moment, isn't it? Wrexham, owned by the Hollywood stars in Wales. I'd imagine there's suddenly a lot of Wrexham people. I imagine Wrexham have probably sold a lot of te- a lot of shirts recently, and suddenly their games have become high demand, more because of the celebrity associated with it, but because it's suddenly become in vogue. So, jump on the phone. Who are some of those New Zealand athletes that perhaps we don't truly? understand. I think there's a few in motorsport at the moment. Dylan Hartley's one. Oh, yeah, but he didn't make it in Formula One. Yeah, but he was driving a crap car. He might be a little bit reckless, but the guy's won Le Mans. Earl Bamber. You know, what these guys are doing in some of this Porsche career racing and these endurance events around the world. Do we truly understand it? Or are we just so myopic that we just think it's the supercars in Australia and Formula One, and if you're not involved in either of those two for some reason, or, of course, with um, Scott Dixon and Indy Cars and Scotty McLaughlin and co. 0800-150-811. Underrated sportsman, someone sexy and softball, Mark Sorensen. Multi-world champion as a player in all codes, in all the codes Hall of Game, uh, Hall of Fames. Yeah, I think Mark Sorensen's underrated. Um, what I will say, I just don't think softball is on the same scale, though, from a men's point of view, as, say, what football and NBA are. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your calls. We've got Scott. We've got Zaid sitting there waiting. There is a spare line if you do want to phone through. 
Imogen Aris, who picked up a bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games last year in women's pole vault, is going to join us on the programme after one o'clock as we preview the POTS Classic, one of the great track and field meets expected to be uh, taking place in Hawke's Bay over the weekend. But let's go to the phones. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you going? Good, thank you. Um, just just calling up in regards to underrated um, sports people over here. Um, I think, obviously, uh, you've noted Chris Wood, um, you know, uh, along with Winston Reid as well. I mean, you know, yeah. trying to, obviously, just trying to get into the, into, uh, into the squad of a Premier League team. Um, obviously, Winston Reid going on to captain West Ham as well. And if I remember rightly, I'm, I'm not a West Ham fan, and I might be wrong, but I think he was player of the year one year for them as well. Um, which you know, which is an incredible achievement, um, and, and playing I think almost two hundred games for them, um, and then uh, Sean Marks would probably be the other one um, as well, which I think he played over two hundred games across the NBA. Um, yeah, yeah I, 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 as well. true story, Scott. I was actually lucky enough to see Sean play as ever first thirty-seven seconds in the NBA. I just happened to be studying in Canada at the time when he was with the Raptors and. Um, they moved into the Air Canada Centre, yeah, and um, you look, even what he's done in the administration side of it, I mean, you can look at Sean Marks and go, well, he didn't play a lot of NBA time, but he was a key man in terms of that San Antonio Spurs when they won the championship, and he was a good team guy. But again, you think about that, what, 30 teams in the NBA, roster of 12. Uh, I mean, I was talking to... Um, I was talking to John Ackland, who set up the Warriors in this country, you know, rugby league coach. He's teaching at St. Peter's College in Auckland, and he said, look, you know, rugby, rugby league, we've got numbers right down at a junior level, but but if we built 80 basketball courts, we'd fill every single one of them. And so what Sean Marks, what um, Stephen Adams have done is sim- simply remarkable. Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, you're talking um, two truly global competitions and, and people coming from New Zealand, you know, uh, making it there where you're competing against every youngster that wants to be an NBA star in the States um, and the same for the FBL in, in England, plus everyone else wanting to get in there from other countries. And, I mean, you're only looking at, a, what, 0.001% of probably making it, to be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's isn't it? We talk, we, and, and we're here. And, and I don't get it. I mean, you know, Kirk Penny was another one. I think that um, also played three or four games in the NBA and still dabbling a little bit at forty. But yeah, we just, we, we, we just. You, that's why people need to get outside in New Zealand. That's why people need to go to the states. That's why people need to get an idea of just how big the planet is and how big these countries are and how many basketball teams there are around the world. How many kids do play football? And then just try and put things in context because, you know, we, we can be just a little narrow and a little myopic sometimes with our view of the world. Exactly, exactly. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's something pretty special to make it. And, um, you know, to, to move away from sports that are traditionally not, you know, I know at child, uh, children's level they're the most played, but, um, yeah. but, but you know, it, people you, don't tend to think about that yeah. later on. You even go back to Chris Lewis. Um, you go back to Kelly Evenden, you go back to Brett Stephen. I mean, these guys were comfortably inside the top 40 in the world in tennis at times, you know. Chris Lewis reaching the final of Wimbledon in 1983. I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary when you look at where these sports are now and just how big those athletes are. Hey, Scott, lovely to have you on the programme. Thank you for phoning. Hi, Zaid. Hi. Um, we're talking about how you're going to supporting teams. Uh, supporting um, Chelsea when they... Um, won the 2012 Champions League final against Bayern Munich and the uh, penalty shootout when yep. um, Peter Cech, yeah made the save. But, um, yeah. 
obviously a big Chelsea fan and looking forward to the I think, to the Chelsea Liverpool game this weekend. So yeah, I think we played a highlight the other day of the semi final against Barcelona with Suarez scoring. Torres. Yeah. Torres, my apologies. Torres. Suarez Torres. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fernando Torres. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's that's when Chelsea was pretty good. Um obviously that did the Champions League not too yet too long ago when um Kai Havertz scored the winning goal against City, but going for a bit of a rebuilding phase right now of um Obviously, Roman, Roman Abramovich going because obviously all the Ru- Russian politics stuff. Um, so, and obviously he won most of the trophies with Chelsea, pretty successful owner. But going through a new ownership with great, of, um, well, pod- yeah. Look, I think Chelsea. They've got Liverpool this weekend. They got my mob. They are in a rebuilding phase, but only one team can win it. And so you had Chelsea with Abramovich. And then we suddenly started to see these oligarchs and these billionaires start to come in. Newcastle's been the latest one that's picked up. Uh, Liverpool to a degree. And all of these owners all have a responsibility and it has become a bit of an arms race and it's become even more difficult now. Uh, There is a genuine argument and a challenge to FIFA that clubs like Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City probably need to be just pulled in a little bit. Because how can you p- compete against the economy of a country when basically a country owns you? And one thing the English Premier League doesn't want to do, and one thing with the French League, and even the Champions League to a degree, it doesn't want to become like the Scottish Premier League where there's only either one or two teams that can win it. And almost the Spanish League, let's be honest, in the Spanish League, you know, there might be one team in every 10 years outside of Real Madrid or Barcelona that ends up winning it. Hey, thanks. I lovely to have you on the programme. It is coming up to 10 minutes away from 1 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Five and a half minutes away from 1. Don't you hate it when you get a pen and you're using the pen and you don't realise it's leaking ink? Then you look down and it's all over your clothes, it's all over your hands and it's all over your face. It's funny, isn't it, how we go to war? Anyone ever thought about this? They reckon that the Gulf War had a lot to do with oil and we sit here and we jump up and down about the price of petrol and the price of gas and we go actually a litre of petrol is actually still a hell of a lot cheaper than a litre of water at a gas station, that's another thing has anyone ever thought about the price of ink ink is like 60 bucks for a damn cartridge how come we ain't going to war over ink make a good Seinfeld episode wouldn't it because Seinfeld is a show about nothing and that's the sort of episode Jerry, they've gone to war over ink. What do you mean they went to war over ink? What, red ink, blue ink? Did they go to war over the ink? They haven't gone to war, have they, on the ink? Well, who makes the ink? Who owns the ink? Be a good Seinfeld episode, wouldn't it? It's a show about nothing. Speaking of nothing, I'm talking nothing. It's called filling. It's called filling. Scott Logan, PT. Man's had a lot to do with New Zealand hockey. Um, I think he's tied up with Auckland cricket these days. Very astute man, he's texting. I always appreciate his texts. And I think he knows where I'm coming from when it comes to Stephen Adams, Chris Woods. You've only got to look at the salaries that these guys earn to demonstrate the global business of sport that they're in and just therefore how difficult it is to actually be part of the cast. Pretty sure Stephen Adams, Chris Woods combined salary would be substantially more per year than the entire High Performance Sport NZ gets to fund all New Zealand sports and athletes' salaries outside of cricket and rugby. That speaks to the level of money they are getting. Our entire Olympic campaign each year, 300-plus athletes and those two put together. Yeah, 
And so you can imagine that's the sort of money that's available. So how much are people working to try and be a part of that? And you get kids out of little old New Zealand who can get there. But the thing I love about that, it actually still just shows you that you can make it, that you can be a kid from Rotorua, you can get there. You can be a kid from Cambridge, Takapuna, you can get there. And really important good text that's coming in, of course, it goes without saying. Winton Roofer, a lot of folk have no understanding of what he achieved in Europe. And if he had not already played for New Zealand, he would have represented Germany. And that's true. He would have represented Germany. I think it was, was it Klingsman or who, who suggested that he would have played for Germany? Because he was arguably the best striker in the Bundesliga at the time. So it's been an interesting uh, first hour. We're going to talk some athletics after one o'clock. Imogen Iris, uh, Iris is going to join us on the programme. Uh, young pole vaulter, up and comer. She's going to be one of many top-level athletes who is going to be in action tomorrow in Hawke's Bay for the Potts Classic in memory of the great Sylvia Potts, one of New Zealand's great women athletes. Yesterday we had Taryn Walpton, who is New Zealand's, along with Eddie O'Keefe, is one of New Zealand's leading sprinters. Someone texting in, war over ink, you couldn't write about it. It's funny though, isn't it, how ink is about 60 bucks a cartridge. Litre of petrol is about $2. Litre of water is about $3. Think about what goes into making petrol versus what goes into making water. Shows the power of marketing, doesn't it? I'll let you think about that one. Seinfeld episode, I think so. The other one, I think Seinfeld may have done it. Whatever happened to the pens? You can never find a pen. Where do the pens go? Is there a pen army building? Where do all the pens go? Ponder on it. We might have that conversation later. Four minutes after one, one of the big track and field meets is taking place in the weekend in the Hawks Bay. It is the Potts Classic. It should be... A wonderful afternoon of track and field, a bit of a throwback to the Pan Am series back in the 1970s, the 1980s. Um, And then, of course, we did have some really, really good track and field meets in the 1990s as well. But I'd argue that athletics has never been in a better place than it currently is at the moment. And not just in the traditional sports like the 8 and the 1500 metres, but clearly these days in a number of the field events. Now, one of the real stars of last year's Commonwealth Games, and took everybody a little bit by surprise, is Imogen Eris. She joins us on the programme. She is a pole vaulter and she won bronze in Birmingham and she will be competing over the weekend. Imogen, good afternoon. Welcome. How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? Very well. Um, You're still buzzing after Birmingham? Yeah, still buzzing. Yeah, where's the medal? Um, It's it's in the dining room, so all the guests are coming to see. So so mum and dad proud? Yeah, very proud. Yeah, good. How, how did you um? How do you decide to become a pole vaulter? Yeah, well, for me, it was a pretty gradual um, progression. I used to be a gymnast um, and was also doing athletics at the same time, and then just combined the two really. Yeah, I always say to people who um, take up gymnastics, and you know, sometimes gymnastics in New Zealand, you've got a bit of a ceiling on it, very hard to crack crack it at the highest yeah. level. 
Um, but don't give up because you can take up pole vault because of the flexibility, yeah, because of the exactly. upper body strength. And um, you felt that gave you an advantage that allowed you to maybe advance a little bit quicker than perhaps people that don't come from a gymnastics background? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it as well is just used to being upside down and knowing where you are in space is something that gets taught at such a young age in gymnastics. It just sticks with you, um, just body awareness and, yeah. Mm. Um when you start to get up over four metres and you cleared 4.45 to win bronze, um, yep. does it feel high when you're up that high? Um, it doesn't feel high unless something goes wrong and then you don't land in the right place. Um, because it does kind of just creep up on you quickly. You start on a very small pole with a very small run-up and then you just slowly get better and better and all of a sudden you're jumping big bars and... Yeah, sometimes you do have a bad crash and you come back on the track and all of a mm. sudden it feels quite high. But other than that, it's just what I've been doing for the past eight years. It doesn't feel any different. Yeah, when you're progressing through the sport and you're moving up the heights, you've mentioned that sometimes it's going to go wrong, sometimes you are going to get beaten up, you're going to land on the track. How tough is that psychologically then to overcome? Yeah, pole vault's a very, very mental sport. Um a lot of athletes can go through mental blocks with run-throughs because it is dangerous. Every time you stand on the runway, there's obviously risks and calculated risks and things can go wrong. Poles can snap. Um, you can come back the wrong way. And I think the key thing is to just, it's hard to say, but you don't think about those things. And mm. I've had a pole snap on me. I've landed on the in the wrong place and broken my foot. And you just, every time you stay on the runway, it's an opportunity to jump high. And I think that's all you really think about. You don't think of all the things that can go wrong. Okay. Just for people out there not familiar with it, they've watched it. In regards to the poles themselves, um, clearly very flexible. What are they made of? So the poles that I use are called composite poles, and they're a combination of carbon fibre and fibreglass. Um, so you can jump on carbon fibre poles, composite poles, or glass poles. But I find that the composites, the combination of the two work best for me. And are they? do they have a, a sort of a use-by date? How many jumps can you get out of a pole? Do they last forever or um, are they only good for a certain amount of jumps? Yeah, there's no use-by date. Um, we won't ever jump on a damaged pole, though. So if someone scratches it with their spike or it lands on something and it gets a bit beaten up, then we won't jump on that because it is at greater risk of snapping. Mm. Um, and that's the most common reasons poles snap. Mm. because they're damaged. Mm. Now, the other thing people might not be aware of, that poles vary what in length and also vary in flexibility. Yep. Yep. And so how do you, um, how do you determine what you're going to use um, and do, does the stadium have an impact on that? Um, is that just purely an individual thing? And do you personally swap between different poles based on what I just mentioned? Yeah, so I'll take sort of seven poles to a competition with me, um, all the same length. So I jump, my poles are four metres 45, so that's the length of the pole. And all the poles I use will be that length, but they'll just vary in stiffness. Um, ideally, you want to be on stiffer poles, you can get more out of them. But it's you can't jump on a stiffer pole unless you're capable of doing that. So you wouldn't come into a competition and start on your stiffest pole, you'll start quite soft and then work your way up as you move through the competition, as the bar gets higher. Um, yeah. 
Mm. Now, you went through Takapuna Grammar School, I understand. Um, yeah. What sort of influence did they have on you? And, um, we, yeah, what was it like going to a school where you're the pole vaulter and I guess most other girls and most other boys are either probably playing netball, rugby or some sort of football? <laughs> yeah, well, I went into TGS not as a pole vaulter. I started in year nine with gymnastics, netball and athletics being my main sports. Um, and then partway through year nine, I stopped gymnastics and picked up pole vault pretty soon after. Um, I ended up dropping netball after year 10, which was pretty big for me because I love netball. That was always my main sport growing up. Um, so, yeah, just being a pole vaulter was pretty weird when all my friends were still playing netball and all that sort of thing. And being in an individual sport in general at a young age can be quite tough because you're not um, mm. going to practice every day with your friends and playing with your friends in the changing room and all that. Um it's very, very different. But I think I learned a lot of that very young from gymnastics. So for me, it wasn't a huge change. Whereas I think having not had that gymnastics background, being in an individual sport, it would have been quite tough. Eliza McCartney also went through Takapuna Grammar. I think she's, what, four yep. or five years older than you, perhaps. Do you remember her at all? Yep. Yeah, she was in her last year when I was in my first year. Um, and I knew who she was, Um I was so scared of her. <laughs> I had no reason to be scared of her. But I just thought she was so cool. Um, yeah, so we only overlapped for a year, but um, I didn't really start getting close with her until after she'd left, and I'd been her, been pole vaulting for a wee while because um, obviously I only started halfway through year nine. So, yeah. Yeah, and she's had a bit of a tough uh, run since those Olympic Games with injury with the Achilles with the heel. Do you do you talk with her much? Um, what do you do to try and encourage her? Because uh, let's be honest, if you've got competitions and everybody pushes each other. Yeah, um, I mean, Liza's awesome. She's such a good friend, such a good role model. Um, she's obviously been through some pretty tough times, but I don't know anyone as resilient and as her. So, yeah, if anything, I look up to her. So it's... She's got it sorted. She's got a great team around her. And I know that when she's back fully fit, um, she'll go back to being one of the best in the world, no doubt. Mm. Yeah. What's in the water at the moment with um, New Zealand women's athletics and pole vault? Because I mentioned Eliza McCartney, (laughs) yourself, and of course, Olivia McTaggart. Yeah. Um, Well, we're all under the same coach, um, same influence, and we're a great team. We all, New Zealand pole vault, we all get along really well. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like I said, individual sports can be hard at times, but... A lot of the time for us, it doesn't feel like it because we've all got each other and, yeah. Mm. yeah you're all coached by Jeremy McCall? Yes, yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Jeremy and um, why he has been so successful. Yeah, he's just, he's one of the best coaches in the world. He's got an incredible technical eye. He can pick things up and know where things are going wrong. And, yeah, he built New Zealand pole vault from the ground, basically. Um, and got Eliza all the way to the top and now he's got a few more coming through and it's really exciting for the sport because it's so Mm. women's pole vault is a young sport in general let alone in New Zealand so Mm. it'll be awesome to see where you can take it How far do you think you can go? How high do you think you can jump? And when are you looking for that, I guess that next big major breakthrough in terms of say going from 4.45 to maybe consistently jumping say 4 metres 60? Yeah I think I'm definitely due a big breakthrough there's been a few things that have kept knocking me back. I had a pole snap last season. I had my broken foot European season. Um, so I haven't quite had a chance to go through a full 
season uninjured or without a big obstacle catching me. So I think hopefully this year will be the one that I can just get a clean run and really just show everyone what I am capable of. Do you have an idea of what the qualifying standard for the Paris Olympics might be? Automatic entry will be around 470 and then the rest of the field will be made up based on world rankings. Okay, so you've got sort of two paths to get through. Uh, let's yep. let's talk about the weekend. So have we got Eliza and Olivia competing? Yes, yep. Oh, so oh, with that almost the blue ribbon event, eh? Who would have thought women's pole yeah. vault would be the blue ribbon event at a major track and field, mate? <laughs> I know, it's awesome. And how, how, how are you coping with maybe the um, uh, added attention that you're now receiving since having performed at the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool to have um, lots of people just following the sport in general. I think Eliza drew a lot of that attention to women's polo um, and people realise that it's a pretty exciting thing to watch and that we've actually got a pathway here and we could get three girls at the Olympics, which would be unreal. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, yeah, it should be good. We've got the three of us. There'll be some of the some younger girls as well. Um, who are coming through jumping, so it'll be a full field, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this. Um, now, you can come in at any height at this competition. You could come in at four metres or you could sit it out or come yep. in at four metres 30. Do you try and get a, an early jump in just to sort of get a bit of a feel for the track, for the environment, and just to sort of um, just set things up before maybe sitting a couple of heights out? I mean, ha- how do you approach it? Yeah, I mean... There's a whole lot of factors that can go into that and every competition might be different. Um, For me, at the moment, I'm trying to kind of limit the load in my foot as I recover through that. So I wouldn't want to do more jumps than I need to. Mm. Um, The field size isn't huge and so I won't have to wait for a while. Whereas Mm. I've done some competitions in New Zealand where I'd warm up and then it'll be over two hours before I even come in. Mm. so it's those competitions where you'd consider coming in lower just to break up that mm. weight a bit. Um, but I think on Saturday tomorrow, um, a height like 420 that I know that I can clear comfortably um, and just get the competition rolling, I think, yeah, will be great. You're listening to SENZ, Imogeneris, uh, women's pole vaulter, bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games, is my guest on the programme as we count down to the POTS Classic. Uh, the fatigue side of it. Um, how much fatigue through the takeoff, through the run, and how much of the fatigue is actually in the propulsion side of it, the upper body strength required, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it's it really is a combination of everything. Um, your speed that you carry through is a huge factor. Um, but then obviously pole vault, it's so, there's a lot of physics in it. Um, transmission of forces and everything there's yeah there's so many aspects to it even I think what's so different about pole vault is you've got the whole element of actually using a piece of equipment for you to do your performance um whereas Mm. other sports you're just going out there and running as fast as you can or throwing as far as Mm. you can whereas we actually put a lot of um reliance into our equipment our pole which actually is the thing that carries us Mm. over the bar so, so how much speed work do you do? How much sprint type training do you do in terms of the runway? So I'd vault twice a week. Um, and when I'm back to full load, I'll be doing two running sessions a week as well with sessions in the gym. So the gym stuff will complement the running stuff and that it'll be, depending on what time of year, it'll be like power-based, trying to 
get things moving faster. Um, a lot of it is speed. If you could have one raw bit of talent coming to pole vault, speed would be speed would be one of them. Yeah. And do you have that? Um, it's a it's a very <laughs> different thing to be able to run fast and to be able to run fast with a pole. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but you're only young, and I'd imagine that just comes in time, doesn't it? As you just progress and training cycle after training yeah. cycle, those sort of things just naturally, um, just just naturally build up. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I've had a lot to do with. Um, just endurance training and stuff over the years. In regards to periodisation, um, how specific is that in terms of trying to peak at the right time of the year and how does that work in pole vault? Like in running, you do your base work, your strength work and your speed work at a really simplistic level. How does it work in pole vault? Yeah, so I think the main things that change will be the stuff we do in the gym and the actual vaulting we do. Um, At the moment, we're all competing, so we're on our full run-ups, on our full-length poles. But after the season, we'll dip down and go back to some more technical stuff, go back to basics and work on short run-ups, small poles, just to really work on that technique to then be looking to be on full run-ups when we need to peak. Um, It's very demanding on the body, and to be on full run-up all year round would be a lot to ask. Um, And then, yeah, in the gym, we try and sneak load in when we can, whereas this time of year, it's all about kind of maintaining where we're at um in winter we get slammed in the gym which is a lot of fun um but yeah it's all about trying to peak for when we need to for our main events yeah mm-hmm. well Imogen what time are you up tomorrow women's pole vault starts at 5 p.m 5 p.m the blue ribbon event ladies and gentlemen 5 p.m <laughs> 5 p.m we're all voting we're all jumping up and down for you Imogen Thank you. Hey, lovely to have you on the program. Great insight. And look, all the very best for tomorrow's meet, the rest of the New Zealand summer, and what awaits you later in the year overseas. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. There you go. Imogen Eris, one of New Zealand's leading pole vaulters. Three of them now. Three of them. Three of them in the mix, led by the great Eliza McCartney, bronze medal back in 2016. And... um. Yeah, you've got Olivia McTaggart as well, who represented New Zealand at Commonwealth Games four years ago. I think representing New Zealand at the Olympics, did she make Tokyo? I think she might have. Yes, she did. I was actually um, very, very privileged to be able to call a pole vault at the Olympic Games. I've got to say, spectacular event. Um, people often ask me, what's the coolest event of the track and field program? And categorically, I'll always say the high jump. I think the high jump has just got so much theatre and drama. And we saw the Italian Tamberi and... Um, the man from Qatar, Basham, share that gold medal, and I was, I was lucky to be there and call that as well. But I've got to say, after having done the pole vault for the first time at the Olympic Games, very similar, very similar. Coming at certain heights, if you might come at, say, 4 metres 70, you might miss it. You get three attempts. You might miss it twice. Then you go, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to have my last attempt at 4 metres 80, all or nothing. And some make it on that one jump under all that pressure. And that's what I love about it. Those events just have so much theatre to them. Anything where you can move up in height. Difference between long jump and triple jump, you're just sort of chasing distance the whole time. But there is just something so tactical and technical about the pole vault and the high jump. Do encourage people to get along to the Sylvia Potts Classic 
tomorrow in Hastings. It is coming up to 21 minutes after 1 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. 26 minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. We are with you through to four o'clock this afternoon. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. Um, we were, had a couple of little themes earlier in the afternoon just talking about how you become a fan of a certain football team, what influences you to become a Lakers fan or a Manchester United fan, Fulham fan, um, NHL. Um, why do you support certain teams? Why do you like certain athletes? certain time in your life, what was the influence for it? A little easier in this country because I think it is just regional and geographic and where you're brought up and we just don't quite have the scale. Uh, So that might be one talking point that you might want to text us in on. Uh, Then we were sort of having a debate and it was a good healthy debate over what determines the GOAT and Kieran adamant that Michael Jordan is not the greatest of all time in basketball and he doesn't really like the term because it's generational and how do you basically compare one generation from the next. Um, But I think clearly there are sometimes just statistical outliers, people that just come along and just change a game. Um, And it's very hard to define it. And Jordan was one of them. I think you've got Tiger Woods in golf. Uh, Even though he hasn't won as many major championships as Jack Nicholas, I think everyone still considers Jordan... uh, Tiger Woods arguably is the greatest golfer that's probably ever walked the planet because I think there is genuinely greater depth when he was playing. And another one who took a game that was not niche, still had a global point of view, but made it truly, truly global and broke down maybe some of the economic barriers that associated with it or broke some of the sort of perceptions around the sport. Um, Then we've also looked at underrated New Zealand sportsmen. I'm not sure how we got onto it, but looking at Stephen Adams, um, looking at the likes of Kirk Penny, Sean Marks, Chris Wood, Winton Roofer, and those underrated New Zealand sports people, how do you measure and gauge their success? And when are we going to actually wake up and realise they're probably our best athletes in this country? because they're doing it in the two biggest sports, Adams I'm talking about, and Woods, the two biggest sports on the planet. And they're at the absolute elite level. Yet, they never seem to be in the discussion for the Halberg Awards because you can't actually measure their success because only one team's going to win the English Premier League, only one team's going to win the Champions League, and only one NBA team is going to end up winning the NBA championship, and they play within teams. So you might have some others that you'd like to add to that list. And I throw a couple of drivers into the list. So you've got Brendan Hartley, won Le Mans last year. Earl Bamba. So if you want to jump on the phone and just have a generic discussion, it's a pretty light day. There's not a lot of sort of hard-hitting opinion out there or big stories. 0800 But I also just want to add one more into the mix, and that is that performance of Andy Murray, one of the great tennis matches of all time, finished at 4 o'clock in the morning in Australia. Unbelievable. And so... We're going to take a break. We're going to bring you some sports news 
news and weather headlines. We're going to get a bit of a TAB odds update, but then I do want to look at the Andy Murray game. And I would like you to try and jump on the phones, preferably, and, yeah, some of the other great matches, some of those other great street fights that happen in sport. I mean, street fight in a sporting sense. But also, wouldn't women's tennis be better if it was five sets at the Grand Slams? Look at the men's games that happened because of five sets. Andy Murray was down by two sets. He was gone under the women's format. That's it. Match over. Comes back from two sets down. This becomes a thriller. People are talking about high ratings. The brands go up. Um, the great tennis matches always happen to be on the men's side. They always happen to be five-set thrillers. Women's, it doesn't happen as much. And I think the women's game should be playing five sets. And nothing to do with equal pay thing. We've, we've had that discussion. But just in terms of the actual quality of the product, don't tell me they can't do it. Of course they can do it. Women can do Ironmans. Women can run marathons. Women can climb to the top of Mount Everest. They can play five sets of tennis. And then if it comes down to television scheduling, well, that then says that while they can virtual signal on one hand, they can say, well, yeah, but they don't run as high as the men's and television dictates the schedule. I mean, I'd get rid of the junior tennis, get rid of the mixed doubles if you have to, if it means being able to schedule women playing five sets. What I think it also does is it means those players that perhaps don't have as much natural talent can maybe make greater breakthroughs and progress further in their career through work ethic and through being fitter. 28 minutes away from two. 26 minutes away from two o'clock. Peter Fulton, two metre Peter is going to join us on the programme at 2 o'clock. We're going to preview tomorrow's second one-day international between New Zealand and India. And then, of course, tonight, a little bit of a, what is it? It's a bit of an exhibition. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? It's what they call it, the Black Clash. The Black Clash. That's between cricket and rugby. This is part of Duco events, David Higgins' lot. I think it's live on TV1. Um, and that's been played in Christchurch. I, I don't have a problem. I like the concept. As I said yesterday, I just don't like the whole alternative commentary stuff. just doesn't do it for me. I, I find it find some of them funny. Uh, I find some of them quite try-hard. Um, I'd like a little bit more conventional commentary with it. Look, I understand the whole, um, what's the word, bit of a cult following around some of this stuff. I get that. But I think it's done its dash. And someone also needs to teach them that it's not radio and that it's television commentary. I've got, we've got Pip. We've got Pip Morris on the program from the TAB. We're going to get an odds update. Pip, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, you're staying out of trouble? Oh, I'm trying to, trying my best. Okay, people are sort of out there, they're trying to um, back their sporting knowledge, maybe sometimes confusing ability with ambition, maybe sometimes um, placing bets with their heart, not their head. Where is the interest line over the next sort of 24 hours, 48 hours? On the racing side of things, it's got to be the Karaka Million. You've got the Gold Guineas during the day, which is a nice, uh, you can say, entree to the to the main platter a little later on. I can tell you in the Gold Guineas. Best back is Elsie May. Now, she was in around $12 for a really nice each-way play. She's shortened in, uh, obviously, with the support for her. For the Karaka Million, uh, we've got the feature, the group, well, the two-year-old, Trubriand is still by far the best back there, followed closely by Tutakaka and Legata across the whole meeting, can tell you too. Uh, there's the 
Caracamillion Hub, so you can head to there on the tab.co.nz website. There's bonus sacks available on each and every race. So if you don't win, but you finish second, third or fourth, you'll get a bonus set up to $50. There's boosted runners in each and every race. And you can even do your DIY power plays, which is you can pick a runner to win first, run second, run fourth, whatever you want. Chuck it all together yourself. So there's so many options there. And then, of course, sports-wise, well, it's all about the Australian Open. And Djokovic is still by far the most money staked on him for the outright winner. Okay. Now, I, I, I want to ask you this. So where are people putting their money for the Karaka two-year-olds? And where are people putting their money at the moment for the three-year-olds? The trouble and it's all Team Tiaka for the two-year-old at the moment. And Opie Blossom, that seems to be the way. I know Tokyo Tycoon was closely followed in behind. But as soon as Opie Blossom made his... Uh, choice on which one he'd ride. It's Trobriand all the way in the two-year-old. And in the three-year-old, it's still Legato. So Wild Knight's the second best stat, and you'll see that with the move. But Legato is still taking the money for Ken and Bev Calso, and you can get her boosted as well at 270. Mm. If you don't want to take the, well, you might as well not take the 230 and get her boosted at 270. Now, there's a little bit of a fun, a little bit of a hit and giggle tonight um, with the Black Clash. I understand that there is betting on who might score the most runs. Um, we've got two Peter, we've got two meter Peter Fulton on the program at two. Ooh, who, who, who do people back? Who, who, who do people believe will score the most runs tonight? Uh, I'm not so sure on that one. The betting's a little bit light at the moment. I think they're just waiting for them to get a bit closer. But they are back in the cricket, guys. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, as far as, as that goes, they're not going against the uh, rugby boys. So it seems to be the cricket, but there's no clear-cut guy at the moment. But we should have an update for you this afternoon. I was going to ask you that. I've always been curious. At what point prior to, say, a horse race, do the are the odds locked in and finalised? Oh, that's a tricky question. So literally pretty much before they, they jump, um, you'll have seconds and then as you all clear, they'll shut it and that's often gone. As far as fixed odds, so the bookmakers will, will bring them out on like a Wednesday afternoon for races on a Saturday. You can get nice fixed odds prices straight away. And with the CAB, no matter what, if something scratches, then you keep your price because there's no deductions right until the end of summer. And then, yeah, on the race day, you can bet right up into that last second until they close the tote and that's when your price is locked in to get the starting price. Okay, now the other one that I'd imagine is just a minefield, and I was talking to one of your colleagues the other day about this, how you set the odds for Premier League football, because, boy, that is just hit and miss at the moment. My mob, Liverpool playing Chelsea, I think it's Monday morning New Zealand time. Is much interest in the Premier League? Yeah, there's a lot of interest in the Premier League, and, and I feel for the bookie that's got to sit there and, and try work out uh, those prices. Look, it's a little bit above my head, but we do have a, a couple of sports guys that just live and breathe sports, obviously, so they price up who they think can win and, and price it up appropriately in their opinion. And then, obviously, a lot of times, too, they'll put something up, and the market is what will really tell us if that's right or not. Obviously, it'll get crunched and it'll, mm. it'll start drifting, and that just gives them that indication that maybe they've got it wrong. Okay, and at the moment, we've got the NBA, we've got Golden State Warriors taking on Boston. I imagine NBA also has a lot of interest as well. Another one that would be very difficult with the number of games, the regular season, the win-loss records, the ratios required, uh, often in determining um, who your favourites are. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I think that's just for you, the power plays and are really nice to have a look at around that. And, and a couple of bonus back uh, promotions, we do have two with the basketballs. You can uh, have a look at those. You can place multis too. So if you place three legs or more and, and you miss by one leg, you can get a bonus bet uh, back up to $50. And if you place a pre-match head-to-head bet on the NBA this season, if your team's winning by 12 or more at half-time, 
it does buy you out as an early winner. So that's a little incentive there with the basketball. Pip Morris, have a lovely weekend. Thank you for your time on the programme this afternoon. You too. Enjoy your weekend. Now, bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Watch bet live on your favourite sports and racing, of course, at the tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, okay? You must be 18 years of age and over. We've had some good texts coming on the Temper Bedpost text machine. i am um, got to sleep in my car tonight. I've got a really busy day uh, tomorrow. I'm all over the country. I tell you what, I couldn't do within the car, and that is a Temper and Bedpost mattress because their mattresses, They've got adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Do check out Temper and Bedpost. As they say, they're like no other. What's the music, Kieran? I mean, um, Robbie, what's the music? Uh, that is Don't Don't Want to Be. Don't Want to Be? Is that what it's called? I'm not sure. I don't want to be. Gavin McDrew. Gavin McDrew, not familiar. Old school. Hey, um couple of things I was talking about. There's a shark in, um, shark, right? Going off on a tangent here. Uh, down Waiheeway, not, you know, we've already had that death down there that hangs between there and I think it was, what is it, Matakana Island off the coast. And they gave it a name. Just trying to find the name of the shark, like they called it Betsy or they gave it some sort of name. It's funny when you give a shark a name like Betsy, suddenly you think it's a friendly shark. You go, oh, don't worry about the six-metre shark. It's Don't worry about Betsy. It's like, does Betsy know that... Does the shark know it's called Betsy, and therefore, because it's been called Betsy, it needs to be timid and mellow and friendly? Because I think you're doing people a disservice by giving a shark a friendly name, somehow making people... Oh, you don't worry about it, it's Betsy. Betsy's a shark, man. Betsy knows, doesn't know it has a name. Betsy's a killer. Is there not... Should we be naming sharks? Seinfeld episode? Yeah, it could be a Seinfeld. It's a bit like that. Um, what are you? Maybe able to help me here with your memory. The the dolphin. And I can't quite remember Opo. what it was. Opo the dolphin. I feel like if you're going to name, it would be a dolphin rather than a shark. Well, you'd name you know? a dolphin Opo, wouldn't you? You'd name a seal. That can be quite brutal. But you'd name a seal. You might give it a nice little pet, cutesy name. But to give a great white shark or a bull shark a name, that's a bit. Oh, what did they call the damn thing? I'm just trying to Google it. Wasn't that? It was only recently. If you did call it Betsy, what if it does know? And then you're just antagonising it. I know. It's like, oh, you don't worry about that. Oh, look, come here, little Betsy. And you sort of lose your arm, don't you? You'd go pat Betsy, Betsy the shark, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't you? If there was a great white shark unnamed, you'd be scared of it. But since it's Betsy... Well, that's exactly it. Suddenly you right put a name to, to it and you sort of dumb it, it down a little bit. It's a bit like the thing, isn't it? You want to put your... Fr- you, you want to go and... We've been clearing out our house at the moment, right? And in Muraway, a lot of people just put stuff out on the side of the road and people take it. And then a lot of people put stuff out on the side and no one takes it. But it's funny, isn't it? You can go and put your fridge on the side of the road, no one will take it. Go and put your fridge on the right side of the road, say 50 bucks, and someone will steal it. Well, it's like giving, giving someone a box of matches and say, please don't light these matches. I'm going to leave the room for an hour now. Mm. You're going to light the match. You're going to light the match. What is it about lighting the match? She wrote the, she lit the match, Jerry. What do you mean she lit the match? I told her not to light the match. Another Seinfeld episode. I don't do that too well. Hey, um, by the way, man, if you are um, travelling around the country over the weekend and the little engine gauge starts to go towards E, pop into Gull. Okay, we don't want you going anywhere else. We want you going into Gull stations, fueling your mission all year round. Now, there's been a very good text that has come in, um, courtesy of Stephen. I just want to address this one, and I haven't 
I'm not up to date, but Mark, he says, Mark, New Zealand Athletics have just released the entry standards for the world champs. Of the 11 men's track events, 10 of the qualifying times are under New Zealand records. Men's 100 metre time is 10 seconds. Another shambles looms that comes from Stephen. Look, I haven't read Athletics New Zealand's qualifying standards, but I do find some of the standards incredibly high and probably unrealistic. I think they did get it wrong with the Commonwealth Games last year. The problem is there are so many drugs now in track and field that a lot of the times that are be sent internationally, I think, are false times. I think they're artificial. I think they're manufactured through drug use and these days clearly because of the carbon shoes. Now, athletes have access to the carbon shoes with the little plates in them. But let's not kid ourselves. People talk about cycling. Um, you know, oh, drugs and cycling. Track and field is brutal, man. History will prove it. Go and have a look at how many Kenyan runners have been busted in recent times. So a lot of these times that have been set, I think, are inflated. I think the only way you're going to go close to them is probably getting on the good stuff yourself. And so it's becoming harder and harder for athletes in this country to qualify for major events because they're doing it legitimately. And I think we need to factor that stuff in. You want to have aspiration. You want to inspire people. But you've got to make sure that you're dangling the carrot, that the carrot's not too far out of reach. Now, you go to the Olympic Games, 10 seconds, 10.05 is probably realistic for sprinting. But the other thing is, what I find difficult, and I'm sort of taking this slightly sideways, is I saw last year with the New Zealand sprinters missing out on the Commonwealth Games, but I saw some of our triathletes who I just don't think are good enough to go, go. I saw athletes in other sports who I don't think are good enough, go. I saw some very good swimmers miss out who had been swimming, say, 10 sessions a week since the age of 11. And so there seems to be um, a disparity too from sport to sport in terms of standards that are set. Um, Some athletes have a much greater work ethic. Some athletes are actually just better athletes. You can see that. They don't go and others do go. And I think it's an area that we just need to address. But Steve and I will follow up on those qualifying standards. And next time I'm on, we might try and chase up somebody from New Zealand Athletics and have that discussion. Because I think it's a really good point that you do bring up. Um, Is it this top 16 mentality? Is it top 30? What do they factor in? Is reward for years of service and hard work enough? Should that come into it? Aspiration. You know, um, what's the word? Showing other kids that it can be done in track and field is your pathway. Because all you're going to end up doing is seeing a lot of athletes go to sports like Sevens and as we saw with um, um, Eddie Nakisha. Seven minutes away from two o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. Right after two o'clock, two metre Peter, Peter Fulton on the programme. We are going to talk about the Black Clash and also get his thoughts on tomorrow's second one-day international between New Zealand and India. Michael Bracewell almost pulling off one of the great innings to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat against a very good Indian team, a New Zealand team that was lacking Trent Bolt, that was lacking Southie, that was lacking Kane Williamson and still almost found a way. There's always just something uncanny about New Zealand cricket, isn't there? You write them off and then they find a way. You write them off and then they find a way. 
It's funny how we don't have a lot of expectation on them, maybe because they've just never really had that legacy. But they're starting to establish one, aren't they? I know they are highly regarded in India, so we'll talk some cricket. We are also going to catch up and talk the Australian Tennis Open after three wonderful match uh, with Andy Murray overnight that ended up at 4am in the morning. Wasn't even allowed to go and use the toilet stops, which in itself is, yeah, uh, not particularly flash, is it? So we will talk that. And then Mark Bone, former national swim coach, he will be my co-commentator tomorrow at the Tauranga Half Ironman, one of the biggest triathlon events on in the country. Stellar men's field, stellar women's field, always great crowds, just such a wonderful location at Mount Maunganui. So we'll get his thoughts on what makes the race so special and how he sees both the men's and women's races potentially playing out. And, of course, a large group of athletes doing it for the first time a lot of age group athletes, a lot of Pacific and Māori now being involved particularly uh, with Iron Māori now being a big part of the Māori sport calendar as well, so we'll talk some triathlon before 4 o'clock Right, 4 minutes after 2, big night tonight in Christchurch, we've got the Black Cash we've got New Zealand cricket up against New Zealand rugby. We spoke early with the TAB. All the money is on Peter Fulton scoring the most runs. No pressure whatsoever, but people are chucking their mortgages on Peter Fulton to score the most runs. Speaking of which, he joins us on the programme. Peter, good afternoon. How's the pressure? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not, not, not too much pressure. Um, yeah, look, I think, I, had, I think a couple of years ago I had my day in the sun, so... Yeah, if I was if I was a betting man, I'd be putting it on someone else. Have you spent a lot of time in the nets, Peter? Uh, no, no. I've been <laughs> obviously in my uh, obviously in my day job. I spend a lot of time in the nets, but most of it's uh, most of it's throwing balls to other people, not uh, not not facing them myself. So going in going in cold, and um, yeah, we'll hope for the best. Must be quite nice, though, Peter. I mean, you know, you go from that sort of professional environment. You do play in front of some big crowds and. There's all that excitement to being able to come back and just dip your toes in at the sort of celebrity type level. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about uh, some of the. I think some of the other players are would definitely fall in the celebrity category. Um, but yeah, it is a lot of fun. I think, like I say, when I played the first time I played two years ago, um, just just great being around. You know, all all the the guys that a lot of guys that I you know played with in my career for the Black Caps. Um, so great to catch up with people you haven't seen for a while and you just pick up where you left off and you've always sort of I guess got that sort of common sort of um common sort of bond. Um, you know, when you've when you've played with people at that level and then also the rugby guys. Um the rugby guys all all the guys that play, you know, either either played cricket when they were young or, or just love cricket. So yeah, great to great to be around some you know, some, some other um fellow sportsmen or ex sportsmen and, and just yeah enjoy yourselves. I mean, someone who's used to sort of opening, someone that sort of thing, I'd imagine in your day you're probably used to it coming in at 130, 140, 150k an hour. Um, is it harder facing rugby guys who are maybe not that quick and perhaps the ball's not coming onto the bat as much? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just probably the hard thing is, you know, I think anyone who plays in the game um, would probably be lying if they, you know, like, there's probably that tendency for the, the, the competitive juices just to kick in a little bit and you get out there and once the game starts and you think, well, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make a fool of myself. I don't want to embarrass myself. So you certainly, you know, I think that's probably most of the cricket guys are like, oh, well, I don't really want to get out to, you know, I don't really want to get out to a, to an ex-rugby player. Um, but but then, but then, like I said, then you sort of realise that it's, 
you know, it's all a bit of fun. It's um, it's all about entertainment for the crowd and the people watching on TV. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a balance there. But yeah, I, you know, I think like I said, everyone would be lying if they if they um, said they you know they weren't worried about getting out to an ex rugby player. Do these guys sledge you a bit? Are the rugby boys good at sledging? Yeah, they do. They actually they they talk look, two years ago. They, there's, there's quite a lot of talk. Um, yeah, Israel Dag, he I mean, I think he just talks non-stop the whole time anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, they do. They take it. They take it very seriously. The rugby players. I was quite surprised. I thought they might have been reasonably relaxed about it. But, but yeah, they they are definitely taking it seriously. Um, and you know, are doing their best. I remember um, two years ago, Hagley Mark Ellis. He got out for. I think he got a duck. I think he got out to Dan Victoria, and he was devastated. He was after the game. He was really gutted because you know he'd been looking forward to it for a long time. And he wanted to come back, and yeah, you don't get another opportunity, do you? Uh, Peter, if you were to bowl, what do you bowl? Oh, well, when I was when I was a young fellow, I used to bowl medium pace. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, I'm not going to have to be required to bowl tonight. Hopefully, we've got looking at our team. We've got a we've got plenty of guys who bowl. So hopefully, I won't be required to bowl. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, how many domestic first class wickets did you take? Uh, I think I got eleven. I think I got eleven. I got Ross Taylor out. Um, I got Ross Taylor out in his first first class game, actually. So, which I uh, always used to remind him about. So, um, yeah, I bowled a little bit when I first started playing for Canterbury, um, and I had a few few sort of injury problems, um, problems with my knee. So, um, and I also once I sort of cemented my spot in the team as a batsman, I sort of gave up the bowling. I thought I don't need mm. to. Yeah, I've just, I, don't need, I don't need to worry about oh, this. I've just jumped on ESP and Crick and Phone. They're telling me your best bowling figures were four for 49. Do you remember the day? Yeah, yeah, I do. It was against Auckland, I think. Um, yeah, it was against Auckland. So, yeah, that was one of my first. I probably only played a handful of games at that stage. So, yeah, I don't know whether um, whether the whether the whether I sort of wasted an opportunity by not bowling. But yeah, like I said, I don't think I was. I don't think I had a great future as a bowler. And how do you? Um how have you found the transition going from being a player to a coach? Are you a good coach? Is it something that came naturally to you, or have you had to sort of work quite hard at it as you do trying to work to make it as a cricketer? Yeah, I think you're always trying to. You can coaching's similar to a player in that you're always trying to get better, and you're always, I guess, figuring out ways to do things differently or, or better or how to improve. Um, yeah, but I, I, when I, I think when I played. It was always something I probably thought eventually I was going to get into. Um, you know, love the game. Um, really used to enjoy, you know, trying to help, I guess, young players when I was still playing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been it's, it's been good. It's not the, you know, I don't think, I say this to people, I, I don't think you get the same, you don't get the same highs as a coach as what you do as a player. Um, you know, I think your best day, best days as a player are always going to be better than your best days as a coach. Um, well, what about the same lows? You Do you get the same lows? Yeah, you don't. But, but yeah, I was just going to say you don't. You don't get the same lows though either. My worst days, my worst days cricket as a player, um, far worse than as a coach because, yeah, I guess as a coach, you can't actually physically go out there and in the heat of the battle, um, you're probably more responsible for the preparation before the game and then the, you know the. The, the aftermatch, you know, what what you're trying to do afterwards in terms of analysing the performance and, you know, working out how you can mm. how you can be better. So, yeah, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't certainly doesn't beat playing um, as far as the highs. But yeah, again, you know, you probably when I when I go home after a game, I'm never I'm never as 
I'm probably never as disappointed as what I was after my worst days as a cricketer. Mm, yeah, except these days when a team loses, it's always the coach that gets sacked, doesn't it? When you're a player, it's always the player that gets oh, sacked. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> yeah, coaches, coaches fault when you lose, players fault when you yeah. win. That's, yeah. that's uh, my motto. And what's the depth of Canterbury cricket like at the moment? Are you happy with the depth? Uh, yeah, really happy, really happy. We've got, I guess, probably this season, we had three or four young players come through, sort of 20 to 22 new contracted players. Um and probably you probably might have thought that would have an impact on, I guess, performance with some young guys coming in who are just sort of finding their way at this level. But um, but yeah, our performances this year have been really good. We're we're right in the mix in all three competitions. Um, you know, we've got we've got six players over in over in India at the moment with the Black Caps. So so yeah, so there's there's certainly plenty of depth there. Mm. Yeah, you know, you came through Christ College, so the pathway in Christchurch is high school the stepping stone, or is it still a really strong club competition, and you still have to make your mark at a club level? Oh, look, I think there's still there's still a pathway through through, through the club system. Um, I, I think the you know the high schools in in Christchurch do a really good job in terms of developing our players. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the schools have got um, you know ex ex first class players or or cricketers who are very experienced past players, you know, sort of I guess involved either as teachers or as coaches in, in the in the school system. So a lot of the a lot of the guys by the time they get to our level, um, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, um, have already you know, have already had a, a good amount of coaching from from players who, you know, or coaches who know who know what they're talking about. So yeah, that's 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 probably the the main pathway for, for local players in Canterbury is through the school system, but um, yeah, there's still there's still definitely you know an avenue through through club cricket if you if you're sort of not one of the established players you know when you're 15, 16, 17. So, so you still do cater for the late developers, and there's a message in that for people out there: don't give up. You know, get into the club system, and if you're good enough, hey, we will look at you, and you will get selected. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, I was I was one of those late developers. Probably, I only I only just got called into the Canterbury under-19 team for the national tournament, you know, the day before the tournament started because someone else got injured. So, yeah, there's definitely mm. there's definitely a pathway there. Um, that's the beauty about cricket is that, mm. um, you know, it's a, it's a runs and wickets currency. If you can if you can keep scoring runs and you keep taking wickets, then people are going to take notice. Uh, you mentioned the number of Canterbury players that are currently in the New Zealand side. Can you give us a little bit of a background on Henry Shipley? Um, I'm not that familiar with him, I'll be honest. Um, but he is a Canterbury, and I imagine you would have seen or had a bit to do with his development. Yeah, yeah. Um, Henry from, um, grew up in, grew up in sort of on a farm just outside of Darfield um, in, in Canterbury. So he went to, he went to school in, in, in Christchurch, St Andrews College. Really talented, um, you know, all-rounder. Um, probably had a, had a few injuries over the last three or four years. A um, few injuries, which is pretty common for you know for, for sort of fast bowlers, which is I guess sort of slowed as or just reduced the amount of cricket he's played. But um, last year and this year in particular, really impressive. Scored runs for us, batting at six and seven. Uh, opened the bowling, you know, in in, in all three forms of the game. Um, yeah, he looked a you know he looked a little bit nervous the other night at the start of his the start of his first spell. Um, but you know, he's he's playing against some of the best players in the world. Mm. Um, you know, and it's only going to you know it's not going to get any tougher than that. It's only you know some of the not every not every international team is going to be of the same quality as that Indian team they're playing at the moment. So, like I said, hopefully he can 
he can get another, hopefully get another crack, um, you know, in the next in the next two ODIs. And um, like like all those players when they start out, um, you know, you you probably your first few games are a bit of a wake up call of, geez, this is the this is the level and this is the stand that I need to get to. And um, like I said, he's a fast learner, so I'm sure I'm sure you know he's going to have a long career ahead of him. Mm, yeah, I want to ask you about that, Peter. I mean, you've been where most of us probably dreamed of growing up playing cricket. You have made your debut for New Zealand across the different formats. Just how nervous are you? Oh yeah, I mean, I made my debut in uh, ODI in Bangladesh, um, and yeah, I was incredibly nervous. Just you know, just I think it wouldn't matter who you're playing against, where you were playing. Um, you're just naturally going to be be nervous because it's you know it's probably it's something that you know every kid who plays for New Zealand I'd imagine has has grown up since I was a little boy probably dreaming about it. So um, yeah, it's it's that's half the battle really at international level. It's the best players are the ones who can um, who can go out and perform as if there's no pressure. Mm. You know, even though the reality is there is. Mm. Um, if you can if you can sort of find a way to to play like it doesn't matter, um, and you can play with freedom, then um, yeah, they're, they're, they're the players I think that end up having the most success. Okay, look, um, I do want to focus a little bit on the second one-day international tomorrow night between New Zealand and India. But look, just while we do have you here, there's going to come down to a bit of a discussion, I'm sure, when England are here for two tests. And the discussion's going to be around Canterbury's own Henry Nichols and Glenn Phillips, who's currently playing for Auckland uh, in terms of who maybe bats five or six. Um, which way do you see this way going? And if do we stick with Henry Nichols, who's got a very track good track record at home, but it hasn't been so good overseas in recent times, or do we go with, I, I guess, the more exciting Glenn Phillips? Oh well, look, I mean, I'm, you know, you could probably say I'm a little bit biased, but I would, I, I would be selecting Henry. Um, I think he averages 37 in Test cricket still, even after a, you know a little bit of a you know lean run of late. Um, He's got eight or nine test hundreds, I think. Um, look, I think yeah, that's the that's the way I'd go. That's that's the way I think the selectors will go because I think they've shown in the past that you know they 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 stay sort of I guess loyal to the to the players that have done the job in the past. Glenn Phillips is a yeah, no doubt he's a really exciting player. Um, you know, but I think Henry's got the track record of you know scoring scoring runs in in tough conditions against quality bowling attacks, and and England are going to have a quality bowling attack so um, yeah I think that's the way, the way they'll go hopefully that's the way they go from from, from my point of view as Canterbury coach um, yeah it'll be it'll be a great series overall though, I think I think it's the way that England have played since Brendan McCullum took over I think um, yeah it's going to mm. definitely be exciting to watch yeah but competition's a good thing isn't it I mean as I say if you're going to stay number one train as if you're number two keep aspiring and it's only got to be for, good for New Zealand cricket that we do have that depth look um, really good performance from the Black Caps the other night I have no problem if they're losing if they're in the fight and India 349 for eight and replied New Zealand 337 a remarkable 100 being scored by Michael Bracewell 140 in fact how do you beat India in India clearly I mean you've got to play positively and I'd imagine you can't be in two minds. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, depending on the wicket, I mean, I think probably, I think probably, you know, the, the recipe for the Black Caps is probably to to win the toss and bat and like India did, post a big score. And if you post a big score, then you know you put you put pressure on even the, even some of the best players in the world um, make mistakes when they're you know when they're chasing seven or eight and over. So yeah, I think they'll probably be pretty keen to. 
to win the toss. Um, you know, in saying that, obviously only one team can win the toss and one team can bat. So, yeah, they've got to try and they've got to try and find a way to to restrict the restrict it to a, a chaseable total. I mean, Michael Bracewell showed the other night. Um, you know what what can be done when obviously when it was almost probably a, a losing cause by the time he came out to bat. But yeah, that'll be that'll be the challenge. The challenge is the you know mm. the games in India are generally those games are one day games are generally won by the you know by the the team that bats the best. Um, so so yes, there's a couple more players can take a lead from Michael Bracewell and it'll give us a good chance. Yeah, I mean we lost, but it was almost a little bit of a victory. No Bolt, no Southie, no Williamson. Bolt and Southie, first time since 2010 we hadn't had either in a side. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the, like I said, we're playing one of the, the best teams in the world in their own conditions. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy. Um, and like I said, we can probably take I'm sure the players will probably take some confidence. They'll, they'll look at the way Michael Bracewell played and say, well, you know, if he can play like that, then there's obviously there's some quality players in the top order that can play like that too. So, um, yeah, you'd, you'd hope that they'll take some confidence in that and, 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 like I said, hopefully, you know, hopefully take India head on in the second game. OK, Peter, look, lovely catching up. And, um, yeah, look, all the very best tonight. So you're all convinced that you're not going to be the top scorer and people shouldn't bet on you. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not sure what the rules are. I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, okay, I well, might get in trouble with someone, but I, look, <laughs> I'd I, like, like to I said, say we can I, say in jest. Eh? All, 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 all I'll say, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not. Maybe I'm just. I'm not striking the ball very, very well in the nets lately. So, you know. So you're there. People can do with that what they want. You're there for the taking, eh? You're there for the taking. Peter Fulton's there for the taking. <laughs> Maybe they should be betting on the bowlers. Anyway, we probably should leave it because it is a murky world and it's all in jest anyway. Peter, hey, look, lovely chatting to you and all the very best for tonight. No, yeah, thanks a lot. 20 minutes after two, you're listening to SENZ. So the Black Clash, it's quite a tongue twister, isn't it? Black Clash, Black Clash, Black Clash, Black Clash, Black Clash, Clash. Black Clash, Black Clash, Black Clash. Not too bad, is it? Red truck, yellow truck, red lorry, yellow lorry, red truck, yellow lorry. We used to warm up a lot, um, you know, broadcast, mummy, moo, moo, moo. Or you could try this one. Mrs. Hunt went punting on a rough cut punt, not a punt cut rough, but a rough cut punt. Don't want to get that one wrong. Don't want to get that one wrong. You do not want to get that one wrong. I didn't get it wrong. Uh, 21 minutes after two, you're listening to SENZ. 26 minutes after two, you are listening to SENZ. Uh, feel free to text us here on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Interesting chat there with Peter Fulton. Always uh, good to talk just a little bit of cricket. Came across a number of issues. Uh, just that black clash set to go tonight. Uh, of course, we've got the second one-day international between the Black Caps and India tomorrow night. But just finding out a little bit about Canterbury cricket, the depth there. And, um, yeah, um, just finding out a little bit about Shipley that plays in this black cap side. So I've got to say that since cricket went across to the Spark platform, I think a lot of people um, haven't become that familiar with a lot of our cricketers. I'm not sure that a lot of the cricketers, they walk down the street, I would recognise them like I once did with the sides of the 80s and the 90s. I'd imagine that New Zealand cricket are probably quietly pleased that the Spark platform has fallen over um, for the fact that it's going to be free to wear. Television New Zealand, I understand Spark is still paying for the production, but Television New Zealand are going to be the platform for it and therefore free to wear, they're going to get huge ratings, huge numbers. There's always a danger, isn't there, when you take the money on the table, but you don't necessarily factor in some of the intangibles that you lose. So you take the money in the short term. Yeah, we've got heaps of money for it, but your audience is suddenly halved.
Then you go, well, we've got ANZ sponsorship, and that's up for renewal in a year's time or two years' time. So when we sit down at the table, they're going to come to us and go, well, hang on a minute. We've only got half the audience we once had, so why are we going to pay you the same amount of money? And so suddenly you lose a bit of money there. And you really go, well... And then you've got people saying, we don't have as many people playing the game now because it's not out there. The familiarity has suddenly gone amongst a younger generation who are not getting the chance to see it. And so there's all these sort of um, intangibles that I think you do need to consider when selling sports rights or selling things. And it's one of the things that frustrates me with rugby players and when these player agents sit down with them and, hey, I want to leave New Zealand rugby and I want to go and play overseas. Now, yep, surely some of them it's just purely financial. But I think it's also important that you make them aware of maybe what their mindset will be when they're in their 40s and 50s. You didn't stay in New Zealand long enough. You didn't never were an All Black. How are you going to cope with that? Or you were an All Black, but you could have been a great All Black, but you decided to cut your All Black career short. Um, you decided to give up your New Zealand cricket contract because you want to become a hired gun, yet you had the chance of creating a genuine legacy in test cricket and becoming one of New Zealand's greats. But because you didn't, your phone might not ring for the rest of your life. You look at the likes of Hadley, Martin Crop until he passed away, their phones always rang because of what they achieved in the game here. I imagine it'll be the same for Ross Taylor. They're going to be the great All Blacks. They're always going to make a living because of the legacy they left. And that's the decisions that I think sometimes, and that knowledge needs to be imparted on young athletes when they make these decisions. It's not always just about the money. It looks good in the short term, but what are the benefits in the long term? Anyway, I just thought I might um, share that with you. I still, I still wonder whether... I'm sort of having this chat with Stephen McIver the other day, but I still wonder whether the likes of the Ben Smiths, the Artie Saviers, um, the Julian Saviers, who initially put their hand up to go to the Olympic Games in 2016 before suddenly doing a U-turn. Now, I understand, and that's that was a little bit of coercion, co- yeah, coercion behind the scenes and underlying little threats that, look, if you do go, you could lose your place. And so they all did a U-turn. They all played the three tests in June against Wales. But I just wonder whether these guys are 50 and the Olympics are on and there's somebody else that's playing fullback at the highest level and the current all-black team at the time and you're sort of forgotten or not forgotten. You're sort of remembered, but you're no longer the focal point. And you go, I'd love an Olympic medal. Man, it would have been cool to be able to bring out an Olympic medal out of the draw. And so that's why I'm really pleased that young Carlos Spencer's boy is signed with Sevens. What a great chance to go to the Olympic Games if you're good enough in a couple of years to win an Olympic medal. They don't hand a lot out. Then you can go on and be your Raw Black. And that's why I admire young Clark, Caleb Clark, when he had a crack at the Sevens. I want to be an Olympian. You know, your, your belief system in your 20s is different to your belief system when you were 10. Your belief system in your 30s is going to be different to your belief system in your 20s. And certainly your belief system in your 40s and 50s is going to be far greater than your belief system in your 20s. And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you that. 
and say, hey, look, you're going to have to live with this decision for the rest of your life. Are you happy with it? This is potentially what you're giving up. These are the benefits in the now. These are perhaps the sacrifices and the regrets you might have later in life. Anyway, 28 minutes away from 3 o'clock. 0800 150 811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Uh, really just a bit of a free-fall this afternoon. Um, love you just to jump on the phone and talk some sport with me. How many people are interested in this black clash? How many people are going out of their way to watch it? Or, <clears throat> or is it just going to get an audience because it's going to be an older group of people who are just automatic default sitting at home as television one and you really can't not rate on TV one? Um, I don't want to get into a big debate. I'm, I'm reluctant to criticise commentators because I'm in the game and I know how subjective it is. And I've copped it, I've had praise, you name it. But I'm not a big fan of this whole ACC alternative cricket commentary thing. I think it's got its place. I think it's a bit cringeworthy. I think it's a bit try-hard. And the reason I wouldn't tune in tonight is simply because I don't need to hear that garbage. 27 minutes away from three. It is 24 minutes away from three o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. Sebastian Lavie is going to talk tennis with us after three o'clock. We'll also catch up with former national swimming coach Mark Bone. Mark will join me in commentary tomorrow for one of the big multi-sport events. It is the Tauranga Half Ironman or the Mount Maunganui Half Ironman. It has been going 35 years. If you win this race, you almost etch your name in the echelons of triathlon history. It's been won by some of the best it's going to be one hell of a race in both the men's and women's. So we'll talk to Mark about how he sees this playing out. What does make the race so special? I think it's the time of the year. I think it's the location. I think it's the sheer number of people that watch it. We spoke to Braden Curry, two-time New Zealand Ironman champion, four-time coast-to-coast champion, bronze medalist at the World Ironman Championships. We spoke to him on the program yesterday. So you can find that on Twitter. You can find that um, via the SENZ website. So do check that out. Always interesting. Uh, look, overnight, one of the great tennis matches played out between Andy Murray, 35 years of age, got an artificial hip, taking on Kokonakis. They describe it as an epic Australian Open. Now, I often get a little bit annoyed when adjectives are used that are too over the top, that exaggerate a moment too much. But this was epic. Finished at four o'clock in the morning, man. Four o'clock in the morning. How does somebody allow a game to finish at four o'clock in the morning? I mean, seriously, that is ridiculous. I know there are television audiences around the world and this is beamed into the Northern Hemisphere and it's probably absolute primetime viewing. But I do wonder now how Andy Murray is going to be able to back this up. I always found through my time in endurance sport, when you went through something that arduous, ride a bike for 200k, get off, run, do whatever, hard workouts, big days... It was often not the next day that you were tired. It was often two days later where the fatigue kicked in. But wouldn't it be just remarkable? Wouldn't it be incredible if Andy Murray could win this? Go the whole way and win the Australian Open. Who's standing in his way? Djokovic. And then you've got that group of players who are on the cusp who haven't quite cracked it. Where would that rank in terms of great sporting stories? Goran Ivanisevic winning Wimbledon was one of the great moments for so long. That sort of flawed genius 
and he gets up and he wins the Australian, uh, he wins Wimbledon. I think last year Nadal to a degree winning the Australian Open. But I'm just trying to think of those sporting moments in history where the unthinkable has been achieved. Those moments where they end up making movies. Down and out. Everybody's written you off. But you find a way. You come back and you win. 0800 150811. Text us here because I'd love... I would love for some people to remind me of some of those moments. Have you got any of those, Karen? Have you got any of those um, Andy Murray stories that could end up playing out? I mean, we can talk about Leicester winning the English Premier League, but that's a collective team thing. I'm just trying to think those individuals that are just simply down and out, written off, find a way, come back and do the unthinkable. Just trying to think from an individual sense. I mean, the first one that came to my mind was a team sense, and that was the Cleveland Cavaliers coming back from a three-one, being three-one down in the series against arguably one of the greatest teams of all time, Golden State Warriors. We're not going to get back into that, Watto. But in terms of an individual, it's it it definitely goes up there. Let me have a think for you, Watto, and I'll tell you what: we'll come back with it. Yeah, no, look, it's an interesting one. We're throwing a whole lot of different things out there, but I do love I do love my nostalgia, to be honest. Um, I've got to say, I, I, I do love um, going back and talking a little bit um, about a bygone era. Um, always remember that 2001 Wimbledon final, uh, Pat Rafter. Everybody thought it was Rafter's day in the sun and... And you ended up going six three three six six three two six nine seven in one of the great Wimbledon finals, and everybody had really endeared themselves at that point to Goran Ivanisevic. He was the veteran. He was colourful. He had the big serve. He was flawed at times, which goes back to my point the other day. I think we endear ourselves to people who are flawed because we're all flawed, and I think this is where sport makes a mistake in terms of marketing itself. It wants us to believe that people are not flawed. And so when someone shows a flaw, they automatically cut it out, rule it out, or penalise you for it. As I said, I think State of Origin's better with a bit of biff in it. I do. I'm not saying the whole game, but I think a bit of biff. I think hockey's a better, ice hockey's a better experience with the biff they have in it. I think tennis is better with the personalities, with the racket throwing at times, because we've all played tennis. It's a game that's about unforced errors, and we've all thrown the toys. We've all got a little bit of bad temper in us at times, haven't we? 0800-150811. Jump on the phone. Talk to me. Um, someone just texting in. There can be extremely annoying commentators at any sports match. I love the black cash. Well, definitely you're watching. Now, good on you. Hey, like I say, I think commentary is really subjective. I'm not picking any one particular commentator out of the ACC. I just find it. I just find some of it's quite witty, and I just find some of it's a little bit too conscious, consciously trying to be funny. And I think that stuff just needs to happen naturally. Uh, speaking of commentary, um, I'm lucky enough to be at North Harbour Stadium tonight, 7 o'clock. Do encourage people to get along if you live in the Auckland, Greater Auckland region. Tuatara in action. Final home series up against the Brisbane Bandits, who have already won the Northeastern Division Championship, their number one seed for the playoffs. Tuatara need to match everything the Canberra Cavalry are doing in their series in Sydney. We're one game ahead of them. If we want to make the playoffs, we need to match them. If they win, we win. If they lose and we happen to lose, it's okay. 
Primarily, we'd like to win this series and get through to the playoffs. But a game tonight, 7 o'clock, two games tomorrow, 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and a game on Sunday morning. 0800 150 811 is the number. Temper bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Taking your calls, the lines are open. Many doubted we'd ever see it. But here it is. The return to glory. Yeah, wonderful moment. Tiger Woods, the great comeback, winning the Masters in 2019 after being written off. And that's somebody that somebody has texted that in. So we just thought we'd play that particular piece. Um, And it's really, I think that's exactly what we're looking for. Imagine if Andy Murray at 35 could add the Australian Open. I think he's been a finalist on five occasions, never won it. (laughs) Imagine winning it when you've basically been on the cusp of retirement, you've got an artificial hip. This is a really good story, and this is slightly different. Um, so the Tangiwai disaster, somebody's text that in now. Tangiwai disaster was 1953. It's when the Lahaha, or the Laha, or the landslide came down the side of Mount Ruapehu and basically took out an entire train and killed a whole lot of people. And one of those that died was the fiancé of New Zealand cricketer Bob Blair. And he had to come out and bat in one of the most courageous and gutsy performances that you've seen. You've just found out that your fiance is being killed and you basically come out and bat for your country. So the Bob Blair, uh, very, very um, sad, but yes, a very heroic moment in the history of New Zealand sport and New Zealand cricket. So those athletes that have come back or had to climb their way back into the light have perhaps reach the dizzy heights and then come crashing down for whatever reason and being written off and somehow managed managed to find the form that got them there in the first place and often come back with a different level of maturity and often come back with a very different philosophy in the way they sort of approach their sport and are a little bit more um, philosophical um, about the times that they have gone through. Um, as I alluded to, we will talk the Australian Tennis Open after three o'clock this afternoon. I do want to touch on that Andy Murray match against Kokonakis. 4-6, 6-7. So he's down by two sets to love. Wins the next one, 7-6. Next set, 6-3. And then it goes to 7-5 in the fifth. Now, if this was the women's tennis, he was out. Andy Murray would have gone. And I think the women's game, and it's a great product. I, I, I do genuinely love women's tennis, and I enjoyed the Coco Goff uh, Radakanu game the other day. Uh, I think women's tennis is in a bit of a transition at the moment. There's no one really taking, no one really now taking it by the scruff of the neck and trying to dominate it and own it like the Williams sisters, like we saw with Steffi Graf, Never Adelover, and, and those players. And so it is in a bit of a transition, and I'm sure those great rivalries will emerge at some point. And the men's game will go through it shortly, once Nadal and um, once Nadal goes. Sorry, I'm just being distracted. Yeah, so once Nadal goes, you will you, you will um, you you will see. It. But the women's game, five sets, it would be a better better product. We just don't really ever talk about the epics women's matches, do we? They are very few and far between, but they're happening all the time in the men's side of it. 
And what it does do, it takes it, what it means is that if you don't perhaps have that perhaps that just absolute X factor in your game, you can actually become the player through endurance, through hard work, through pure fitness and having real a real mental toughness. And I think you would make it an even better product than it currently is. And it's got nothing to do with the equal pay. We can jump up and down. We've done all that before, haven't we? Oh, how do they get paid when they're only playing two sets? I'm not, th- that's not what I'm talking about. This is just simply about making the product even better. Have five sets for the women. Now, a lot of it's to do with scheduling. A lot of it's to do with television. Well, get rid of the mixed doubles. Get rid of the juniors. Make it happen. It'd be fascinating to see how Women's and men's tennis would play out if you had the men's tennis open first and then after the conclusion of the men's Australian Open you started a women's only pure women's Australian Open. So instead of two weeks you'd have four weeks. It'd be fascinating to see the interest across both. Anyway, just some food for thought on this Friday as we throw it all out there, as we try and wrap the week up, as we look forward to the sevens in Hamilton for the last time because... The fun police killed it in Wellington. They did. Because mankind is perfect, apparently. And we need to play up to perfect rather than being flawed and recognising that people love a little bit of a train wreck. That's the reason why man's defeats are on the front pages of the newspapers and man's victories are on the back. We have an appetite for a little bit of argy-bargy or take a break. I haven't really lost my voice. I just like whispering. Karen's telling me it's quite sexy too. Someone just saying, Mark, you've done weird attention-seeking BS before, but that just took the cake. Enjoying your articles in the Wilderness Wags, by the way. Thanks for the text. Greatly appreciated. Um, What was I going to say? I was going to say something highly intelligent, but it can't have been that intelligent. Um... No idea, no idea what I was going to say. I've lost my train of thought. Maybe we're getting to that time of the day. Uh, But after three o'clock, as we alluded to, we'll talk some Australian Tennis Open. We'll catch up with former national swim coach Mark Bone. We will talk the Tauranga Half Ironman set to go at 20 past six tomorrow morning. Pilot Bay, if you're in the Mount Maunganui region. Uh, Two kilometre swim, 90 kilometre bike ride. And then we lock ourselves into a 21 kilometre run, 14 kilometres of hope, seven kilometres of truth. Swim and bike for show, run for dough, bad boy, run for dough. No different in golf, what do they say? What is it, chip and drive for show, putt for dough? Same thing. <clears throat> Can't win the race in the swim, certainly can lose it. Every year some people try and make it a bike race and every year it ends up being a running race. If you want to see one of the best ugly faces or one of the best war faces or pain faces, Braden Curry. Unbelievable what that guy can endure. Goes up against a very good means field tomorrow. Um, have I got enough time to quickly read this text? Hi, why don't the best comeback in golf was the great Ben Hogan in 1951 winning the US Open in his first tournament back from a car crash. The last day, he had to play 36 holes. After Tiger's car crash, Dustin Johnson famously said, Tiger always thought he was better than Ben. Now we'll see. He wasn't. Great text, Glenn. Thank you. Four minutes after three, you're listening to SENZ. Well, plenty of action still to go at Rod Laver Arena, the Australian Open. Some big names, Cameron Norrie, third round action. The likes of Shapovalov, the Canadian, who's yet to really maybe just 
find that consistency and fulfil his potential or the potential people have been talking about for a long time since he passed the great Greek player also in action but all the talk is the wonderful performance of Andy Murray at the age of 35 getting up and beating the Australian Kokonakis after losing the first two sets 6-4, 7-6 bouncing back 7-6, 6-3, 7-5 and almost a six hour encounter we decided that we'd go local on this. Our next guest has got his own tennis academy. He's played Davis Cup for New Zealand, but he's just a good man who has a good sense and a good understanding of the game. His name is Sebastian Levine. He joins us. Sebastian, good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well, thanks. Really been enjoying the start of this Aussie Open. It's been amazing. Now, you're on a plane tonight to go over there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um some of the matches so far um, have been absolutely incredible, um, but I'm really excited to watch it live um, over the weekend. Are you going there as a fan or are you going there in a work capacity? Uh, well, look, I mean, to be honest, uh, every time I go to tennis, it's normally as a fan, um, first and foremost, but I will be doing some work as well. So um, hopefully I'll get some time to to go and stroll the backcourts. Um, we've also got one of the key girls, Vivian Yang, who's qualified for the juniors, so I uh, really looking forward to covering sporting her as well. Yeah, Sebastian, always envious of you guys because I mean, you you know, you might not have say cracked the top one hundred, but you're still a hell of a tennis player when you look at how big the global is. And here you are sitting watching these guys play. Know that knowing that if you're asked, you could actually hit up with them. I I, I love that idea of being able to actually just rally with these guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I um, I'm probably quite past my prime now, but um, definitely during the classic. Uh, there were some moments where a few, a few of the mates I used to play with uh, just asked me if I could give them a quick warm-up, and that was that was really good fun uh, just to get out there. I was a little bit nervous, to be honest, before before their matches, not to screw it up, but um, it was it was really great to get out there with them again. Mm-hmm. Sebastian, uh, let's talk about that Andy Murray game. I mean, firstly, I mean, finishing at 4 o'clock in the morning, is that is that fair on anyone? I know there's a global television audience, and there are parts of the world where that is prime-time television, but, boy, it's going to be pretty tough to back that up in a couple of days for Andy Murray. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially after the first round that he had, which was also absolutely ridiculous against Berrettini. Um, I don't think it finished quite that late, but the level and the intensity, and uh, it was almost five hours as well. So I'm not actually, I'm actually amazed with how how he's been able to do that two two matches in a row. Um, look, I mean, it doesn't happen that often that those matches finish that late at Grand Slams with the five set format. Um, you know, if you get a couple five set matches on on one of the main courts, it can often happen. Um, but it gets quite late, but at 4am is yeah, probably, probably not ideal for the players, for the ball kids, for the linesmen, for the for the fans that stayed and have to go to work the next day. Mm. I, I, I want to ask you this, because if that if he was playing on the women's side, he would have been out after having dropped the two sets. This is nothing to do with the pay, pay argument we often hear, but at, at a Grand Slam level, do you think the women's game would be a better product if they did play five sets? Give, say, maybe some of those players who have got a really good work ethic, who focus on fitness, more of an opportunity. And um, Because really do we see, really do we see, you know, or talk about the great women's games that go over three sets, but we're always talking about the great men's clashes that go over five sets. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've got to take that from from a few different perspectives. I mean, for a start, I don't necessarily think that um, five set tennis is a better product per se. I mean, obviously, matches like this are incredible, but um, I don't know many people that would have stayed up and watched the whole match. Um, so, in terms of actually sitting down watching the match from first point to last point. Um, I would say that would be 
that would be the ideal product when someone's when someone's into it for that long. Um, there were quite a lot of men's matches, especially earlier rounds in the slams where, um, again, I say this as a tennis fan, but you know, a one-sided five-set match, which is 6-2, 6-2, 6-3, I don't think is that interesting. So in a way, I don't necessarily think that um, an incredible five-set match is necessarily so much better than a three-set match. Um, but obviously the classics are always at Grand Slam. Everyone tuned in for those. And, I mean, a match like last night was, was incredible. Um, but on the on the same page, you know, there's been incredible three set matches throughout the years, and definitely the women also have some mm. incredible three set matches. So, it's it's a difficult one to say. You know, I think it's it's either short and sweet or long, and it could be incredible, but sometimes it could be a little bit up and down as well. Um, but obviously, everyone tunes in for the Grand Slam, so it's always a big argument during the slams. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit I'm a bit impartial. Okay. <laughs> um, no Novak Djokovic, very much the clear favourite now on the men's side. If it's no if it's not Novak Djokovic. Uh, who are you sort of picking? Where do you? Where's your gut feeling tell you? Um, I mean, look, I, th- I think probably Medvedev um, would probably be uh, would probably be up there amongst my favourites. Um, he's got a couple of matches, you know. That, I mean, everyone's dangerous from now on, but he's playing quarter to then play Chapeau or Hercatch, and you know the way he's been playing recently and the way he's generally performed at Slams is is pretty impressive. Um, so I would say at this stage, probably probably Medvedev is is the biggest is the biggest threat. Um, and then, you know, you can get a city pass to Felix Oshelassin, get some good guys that can play some amazing tennis. And then probably I would say maybe the one the one to throw in there is Holger Rune, who, who beat him um, at the Paris Masters last year at the end of the year. Um, and who, although he lost first round at the first tournament of the year, he's he's come through his first two matches quite comfortably against, against very solid players as well. Mm, okay. There seems to be at the moment, the women's game seems to be in transition a little bit in terms of the players at the top no longer have we got the Williams sisters um, we seem to every sort of major grand slam there seems to be a different winner uh, who is your pick on the women's side um, I think I think Schwertek's probably the favourite um, she's the only one that's had some form of dominance um, over the past year or so or definitely since Ashley Barty stepped away as well from the game so I'd say Schwertek's definitely um, the favourite um, having said that Pegula um, she won the United Cup last week. She's got a huge game. She can beat anyone out there. Um, she's probably a she's she's probably um, my number two pick. Um, but then I was really impressed with Coco Goff. Um, you know, she's obviously always improving. She's only 18. She's made some big big runs and slams. Um, and I thought the way she played in Auckland last week at the Classic was was really impressive. Um, and she started out her first two matches pretty comfortably as well. So. Those would probably be my three picks. Um, having said that, uh, Danielle Collins made the final a couple of years ago. He's still in, he's still in there as well. So it's definitely more open. Mm-hmm. But between Schwerkek and Figula, I would say those are the two, definitely the two favourites who are playing the best tennis at the moment. Yeah, the Americans are never far away. Eh? You've got Jessica Curley, you've got Coco Goff, you've got Madison Keys there, as you mentioned. Collins also all inside the top fifteen. Remarkable. Yeah, yeah, and, and even on the men's side, there's I mean there's eight Americans left in the last 32 on the men's draw, which I, I don't know if it's happened in the past 10 years or if ever, but um, that's really impressive to see the amount of Americans now that are coming through um, and actually not necessarily becoming world number one in the men's side yet, but having so many players that are high ranking means that they've been putting in. Uh, the USDA has been doing the right things over the last few years for sure. Hey, tell us a little bit about your tennis academy and where you're based and what it's ultimately all about, Sebastian. Yeah, so um, so we're based at, um, at Next Generation um, on Stanley Street where they play the ASB Classic. Um, we opened the academy in 2019. 
um, our goal is to create uh, top top 100 players, WTA ATP, um, and we set ourselves a 12-year plan for that. So we've got we've got some sort of a player pathway, um, which is ultimately ATP, WTA, and then getting as many kids as we can through Division One colleges. Um, and then over the last couple of years, actually, we've really we've really developed our junior program, and we're just it's just really exciting to see so many kids that are taking tennis as a lifestyle. Um, obviously, they're still doing their school, they're still doing things um, off the court, but a lot of them are going down that pathway of wanting to become, you know, world-class tennis players and giving themselves uh, career opportunities and definitely college opportunities. So, our goal is is, is high level, win um, some grand slams, but it won't happen overnight. So, in the meantime, we're really excited to have so many kids working hard. Part of the success of Europe is the fact that young kids grow up and play on clay. Can we realistically produce top 100 tennis players without them doing the hard yards, without them paying their dues on clay courts in this country? Um, I, I mean, I would firstly say yes. I don't necessarily think that the clay court has a direct impact to see if they're going to be at that level. I think one thing that we are lacking, which obviously Europe isn't, is just competitive environments day in, day out. You know, you can go to Paris and you can go to Brussels and you can go to Barcelona and you can do that all within you know, a few hours drive or a really quick plane ride um, and that's really, where the, that's really where the value is to be in Europe um, but what we're putting together with the academy here um, is we're mm. getting a really good solid group of kids from the age of 12 to 15 and then every year we take them over to mm. Europe for, for a few months mm. a year so they do get that exposure um, but obviously if New Zealand was placed um, in the south of France we would probably have some more tennis players but um, we're going to try and get as many kids as we can over there so they get that experience and they understand the demands of a world-class tennis player. Yeah, it's tough though, isn't it? Because you take young kids and you say, look, you need to go to France, you need to go to Europe, you need to understand what's going on. But then you've got those people in the background saying, oh, you're pushing your kids too hard, this is not fair, this is child abuse, um, let them be kids. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it's, 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 it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's high-performance sport or, you know, I would guess it would be the same in music when you want to do something exceptionally well, especially in an individual discipline. Um, you just have to be so good, so young. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to make it. Um, I put myself in that basket. You know, I left I left New Zealand when I was 10 years old to go live in France and um, my family stayed here. So I, you know, made, and some would see it as a big personal sacrifice. However, I didn't get where I wanted, but I got so much life experience through that tennis um, and through that lifestyle and, sort of an informal education of, of culture and travel. So, um, you know, there is always the case of, of someone pushing a little bit too hard, but I think that we, we should probably looking at the cases that worked really well with like a Cam Norrie, for example, who came mm. out of Buckland's Beach and who's now um, top 10 in the world. And that's, um, that's through great environment, amazing parents and really a great support team behind him. Look, when I was growing up, and it's got a lot to do with rackets, and I, I understand that way the game has changed, but you only ever see the serve and volley game these days at Wimbledon. Why Why is there no serve and volley game in the men's game particularly anymore? Yeah, I mean, a few factors. Um, number one is the courts have all slowed down quite a lot, so all the courts um, are generally playing a little bit slower. Um, that's number one. Number two is players are a lot more athletic than they used to be. Um, players are moving, they're keeping their, they're keeping in better shape so they can play longer, they can they can defend a lot better. So there's a lot of sort of physical attributes. Um, and I think it's also just, you know, it's a bit of a trend sometimes. Um, you know, when you have someone like a Sampras who does incredibly well and everyone wants to serve and volley and be like him and then an Agassi comes along and everybody likes Agassi, they say they stay at the back a little bit. So 
I think it's partially trend, but also just the circumstances and the fact that the game is so much more physical. Um, you know, if, if Sampras was playing against Djokovic now, I think there would be quite a few passing shots happening, um, <laughs> regardless of Sampras' skill at the net. Mm. So it's... Uh, it's a, it's a lot of different factors, but essentially the game is is evolving and uh, players are just so much better from the baseline. So it's it's quite hard to quite hard to get up there and not get past. Sebastian Levy, we appreciate you on the program, mate. Enjoy your trip to Melbourne. Very very envious, my good man. Well done. Thank you very much. Have a great day, guys. There you go. Do check out his tennis academy too if you have uh, got young kids and you want to get involved. You live in the Auckland region, Sebastian Levy. A nice guy. Interesting that he went to France and chased it. I admire kids that do that. That is not easy. But unfortunately, I think that's what's got to be required. You've got to be prepared to sleep in the back of your car, um, do whatever it takes to get there. You know, a champion will always find a way of becoming a champion. And I think what New Zealand tennis need to be doing is actually saying, hey, what did Cameron Norrie do? Okay, Cameron Norrie played his tennis here. What was the next step in his pathway? Okay, he went to the UK. Why did he go to the UK? Better funding. Okay, so how do we tap into the British system? Do we start paying the British system to look after our guys? on the understanding they always represent New Zealand. How much work is done in that area when you do get somebody documenting the pathway, documenting the adversity, how they overcame that? Because I would imagine there have probably been better juniors and better young players than Cameron Norrie, but Norrie has found a way. Brett Stephen found a way. Clearly the days of Chris Simpson, Russell Simpson, um, the Lewis brothers, to go back to the days of Ani Perrin. Perhaps it was a little bit easier to make it to the top in the 70s and 80s than it is now because the sport is so global. There is so much money in it and television has taken it around the world and any time that happens, there's always going to be more interest. There's greater critical mass. I, I, I found it in my sport of triathlon. You know, we constantly try and reinvent the wheel. We think somehow money, you know, we get successful at the Olympic Games and we're desperately looking for that next succession plan and we suddenly think money and bringing a whole lot of PowerPoint presentations in is going to do it. And you go, well, hang on a minute. Why did Cameron Brown make it as a, a superstar? Why did Hamish Carter and Bevan Doherty get there? You know, don't try and reinvent the wheel. There's a blueprint in place. And you know what? You might find out that a lot of sports science wasn't behind it, that there wasn't actually a lot of infrastructure and a whole lot of coaching going on. It was just actually a desire and incredible work ethic and the ability to chase it no matter what. Sometimes it's that simple. And I'll often say that. That's the first thing we should identify in any athlete. Passion and desire, but put it in an adverse situation and see how they cope. Tell everybody one year, this is the best thing I'd do. All these athletes, you bring them in, you pay for them for a year, and they go overseas and they race. Bring them back, following you and say there's no money. See who's prepared to go out and get a part-time job and find their way back to Europe. Those that don't sack, those that do, give them their funding and go, we believe in you because we know no matter what the situation, you're prepared to chase this. And that's the problem when money does come into sport. I think it creates a bit of a false economy. I think a lot of athletes are only in it because they're not having to make the sacrifice. Problem is, that's actually a representation of the fact that they actually genuinely lack a bit of heart. 20 minutes after three. 25 minutes after three, updating the NBA for you. Golden State Warriors taking on the Boston Celtics. Golden State lead by 9.95.86, and there is 9.26 remaining in the fourth if you're interested in your 
NBL in your NBA, I shouldn't say NBL, NBA basketball. Just a reminder tonight, Auckland Tuatara in action. If you're in the Auckland region, get along to North Harbour Stadium. Get there about 6.30, quarter to 7. Great atmosphere taking on the Brisbane Bandits in four games tonight, two games tomorrow and a game on Sunday. Of course, you can watch that via Sky Television, also through the Australian Baseball League um, platform. Uh, right, Kieran, 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 how are you? I'm very well, Watto. How are you? We've had a great week together, haven't we? I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed everybody, actually. It's been nice and relaxed. You boys are very, very good at what you do. It's a nice environment in here. I've worked at a few stations. I've got to say, I really enjoy the SENZ environment. No, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, laid top back. tier. We just get it, on with it, don't we? We don't judge each other. We've all got different opinions. I mean, I'm right, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was well, just going to say, actually, I'm not. I'm never right at home. Right. According to my wife, I'm never right at home, so I like to come here and pretend at least I'm right. Oh, your wife and I would get along so well. Oh, then, they Wado. would. You would, mate. Yeah, yeah. Have, just what I just a follow-up from Wednesday. I asked you if you had any clue what your wedding song was, because you always surprise me with your with your sporting memories. What I, I call them the dictionary of sport. You ask it. You can, I, you can I, just t- say May 7th, I'm going to lie to you, mate. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a Westlife cover of something. I think it was a Westlife song. I'm trying to remember what it was, mate. But as I told Niv, you asked me what my wedding song was. I said, it's not my wedding song. It's her wedding song. Well, I was just you don't say, get this. You, you don't get a choice in it. your choice. You get, it? I, I guarantee if you went to Ruben, our station manager here, and you asked him what his wedding song was, he would probably go, she wanted this song. I'm, I'm I'm not surprised. No, I let, I'm going to go ask Ruben when we catch up with Johnny Mac for the news, and I, if I've if I'm quick enough with my fingers, I'll play it. Mm. I, I yeah I um I think I, I I in all seriousness I know that you know when you sort of they wait and then the MC welcomes Mister and Mrs Watson and you walk through and everybody toast you type thing. I think initially I did want um. You'll never walk alone, and then I went with. Then I went with. What's this? Oh, that old time rock and roll feeling, whatever it is. Um, who's saying that? It was from the movie with Tom Cruise in it from years ago. I'm getting Robbie on it right now. That old now. time. I'll tell you what. I could. I could. Yeah, never Bob Seger. It was Bob Seger. Have you got the Bob Seger song there? Can we find the Bob Seger song? I'm not sure why I changed that. I think I'd seen the movie that it came out of and thought, oh, that's quite cool. Why not just put that in? It had a little bit of energy to it to get everybody going. We got it? No. No? Robbie, what's going on? Are you saying one minute? I'll tell you what, what I couldn't have you never walk alone at my wedding because I'd cry. Mm. I'd cry. When you played it on the station the other well, day, you asked the disappointing thing was you'd walk in with it and you'd be tuning around and you'd be expecting to see Stephen Gerrard and you'd sort of see your future wife and I think you'd be a little upset about that, wouldn't you? But I came here to marry Stevie G. This was the song. So when we walked in, we cranked this bad boy up. Town rock and roll! Popular ringtone for people this week. Gets everybody up. Pretty generic. Can't not dislike it. Sometimes you've got to read your room, eh? Well, that's it. Music is. I mean, if I was getting memories. married now, I'd probably come in with Gangster. Yeah? Yeah, bit of a little bit of Gangster, eh? A little bit of Watto in the room. Yeah, yeah. We were going to do a Gangster rap today. We, we haven't done it yet. Well, I've actually, I've got a beat for you somewhere. Yeah, I'll yeah, track we it can down try it. We'll, we'll do it a little bit later, eh? The, the Gangster rap, because I need yep. someone to fill me in some more lines. I've got the couple of lines established, which are well and truly established. 
Um, Are you that good a freestyler if people went on the Temper Beard Post text machine, double eight double three, by the way, and text it in keywords for you my to drop name in? is my na- no not really but I'll give it a crack okay I love the I love the medium that is communication that we'll sounds very you, academic doesn't it the we'll medium that is communication anyway we just continue to waffle on but we're going to talk to former national swim coach Mark Bone very shortly on the program get his preview on tomorrow's Tauranga National Half Ironman Championships in the sport of triathlon but up next it is the dulcet and romantic tones of John McNeil. I thought you boys were going to play um, Ruben's wedding song. What was his Elton John? You went and asked. Your song, Elton John. Your song, Elton John. Just some good texts that have come in. Hey, guys, cried both times I've been to Anfield singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Cheers, lads. Have a great weekend, and I love this one. Trying to remember our wedding song. Can't remember what she chose. Anyway, my next guest is a bit of a hopeless romantic, former national swim coach Mark Bone joins us on the programme. Afternoon to you, Mark. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Can you remember your wedding song? Hell, I'm so old, I can't remember what happened yesterday. I, I think, you know, I've got mad cow now these days, so uh, to be honest, no, I can't. That's a really bad admission, isn't it? It's terrible, Mark, terrible. Uh, Mark, you are in Mount Maunganui. You've just arrived down there. Tomorrow, one of the biggest triathlons on the New Zealand triathlon calendar, arguably the biggest race outside of New Zealand Ironman. It is the Tauranga Half Ironman. What makes this race so special? Oh, it's an amazing event. It's uh, 34 years of holding this iconic event in this most amazing area in Mount Monganui itself, the Fulton Logan Mount Festival of Multisport. And the new people that have taken over this event have embraced it, and they've got four different events happening all in one um, one time. The Tauranga Half itself, which is a half uh, Ironman, and it's a, a 2.1k swim, a 90k bike, and then obviously a half marathon at the end of it, a 21k. And they've also got an aqua bike, and this is something that is really quite a cool event. It's all about a, a, bike, a swim and a bike, um, and, and it was brought on by um, Garth Barfoot. And he got to the point in his life, as what is he, 84 years of age now, where he couldn't do any more running, and he still enjoyed biking, still enjoyed swimming, and he produced this aqua bike. And it's a fantastic event. Then there's also just a straight-out run, a half marathon, and then there's an ocean swim. So there's something for everybody, and if you're the purest, you do the towering a half. Mm, okay, let's look at the women's field because I guess if there's one being criticism in recent times, it hasn't perhaps been quite the depth as the men's race, and one athletes tended to sort of dominate, and there's almost been daylight back to second. That has changed in recent times. Uh, so tomorrow we've got the likes of Samantha Kingsford as an elite athlete, Rebecca Clark, defending champion. We've got Hannah Berry. She's won the race multiple times. And Amelia Watkinson, also a previous winner. So that in itself, all different athletes, all got different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, most definitely different strengths and weaknesses. I mean, if you have a look at Rebecca Clark, she's a very good swim biker. Um, her running has always let herself let her down, but she's worked really hard on her run, and it's improved market in the last year and a half. Hannah Berry, uh, Dr. Hannah Berry, is a phenomenally good athlete now in all three disciplines. I watched her pre-Christmas. She wasn't quite in shape that she should have been in, uh, so I'm presuming that she's worked pretty hard over the Christmas New Year period, and of course, early days when you race in December. Um, And then, of course, we've got Amelia Watkinson, and there's still a question mark over her swim. She is a good biker, and she certainly is a good runner as well. Mm. The men's side. Well, I mean, as always, it's one hell of a field here, led by um, 
led by Braden Curry, who was third at the Ironman World Championships last year. He's a multiple winner of this race. He's a four-time coast-to-coast winner. The challenges will come, though, from a very good Jack Moody, who won in the one the Topo 70.3 race just before Christmas. And maybe one of the dark horses, former two-time Olympian Ryan Sissons on the start line and former New Zealand Ironman champion Mike Phillips. Yeah, look, this is a, a really, really top field. And interestingly, pre-Christmas, it was a phenomenal field because it, it had multiple other elite athletes that were lined up. And unfortunately, with the various injuries and COVID, uh, they've had to pull out. But it was one of the most stunning fields that you could ever get anywhere in the world. However, we can only focus on those that are going to turn up uh, tomorrow. And I wouldn't still discount some of the young kids that are around, the likes of Ben Hamilton. I mean, he's just made giant strides. I mean, this is his first venture into the elite, but he's still a really good swimmer, very strong on the bike, and he runs beautifully now too. But Jack Moody is the the one in, in terms of the run. Uh, he's got to be there in the swim if he wants to have a chance because he's a magnificent runner. But at the same time, Braden Curry, I, I just can't see you going against him. Unfortunately, Kyle Smith was going to do the event. He was um, broke the race record in 2021. Braden was just outside that record this time last year. But I still, I, I wouldn't uh, go against Braden Curry. But equally, Mike Phillips and Ben Phillips, the two brothers, uh, Mike Phillips out of Christchurch, phenomenal athlete, uh, very good swim, very good bike, and it's whether or not he's done enough and is injury-free. Mm. Yeah, Mark, in regards to Braden Curry, um, he leaves nothing. He leaves nothing. He, he empties his tank out there on the course. He's a very intimidating athlete because he will just bury himself. And he, and to go with him, you've got to be pretty tough. You've got to be able to lock yourself in the hurt box and stay there. Absolutely. And he's an interesting character because he's not the prettiest runner out there. He's just incredibly tough. And that running style of his doesn't change. You know, if you look at a a tremendous runner, uh, you've got the likes of Cameron Brown, who unfortunately just had COVID and so not competing. But, you know, he's a beautiful runner. Braden's not a beautiful runner, but he is a consistent runner. And he's just absolutely tough. And he has the ability to surge as well. So he doesn't hold back. If he's a little bit behind, he'll go early. And he's not not afraid to go early. And he's not certainly afraid to hurt himself. There's no two ways about that. And, you know, if he gets a a sniff, uh, it's goodbye everybody else. How do you beat him? Oh, I think you've, you've, you've got to make him chase you and you've got to then bury him. So you've got to have the courage to be a swim biker and be well ahead of him. But Braden's so tough. He won't let you go. He's improved his swimming, no end. His biking is incredibly strong uh, because he's come from a multi-sport background as well. Mm. And so you've got to be well ahead of him. Mm. One person that could be there is Mike Phillips, could do that, but it's whether Mike Phillips is strong enough in the run uh, to be able to hold off Braden Curry. And equally, to beat him, um, he's, if, if for the likes of uh, Jack Moody, if he's close enough to him at the end of the bike, then he'll have a sniff because he's such a beautiful runner. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. We spoke to Braden on the programme the other day, and you'll be able to put this in context. He never came from a swimming background. He said, look, he came from a kayaking background where it is, again, about catch. It's about hydrodynamics to a degree. He said he looked at a few YouTube videos, and then he finds himself in a 70 point three race or a half Ironman race in South Africa and he's coming out of the water with Jan Fredino. He's coming out of the water with Alistair Brownlee. 
Um, and I'm just just trying to put that in context of just how difficult that is to achieve if you haven't swum from a young age, Mark. A really, really tough situation because swimming is a very taut sport and you have to spend, it's, it's time in water. You know, it's like uh, bouncing a basketball. The more times you bounce a basketball, and if you ever watch and if you ever go to America, all these young kids are around, they're always bouncing basketballs, basketballs and that's why they're so good at it. Time in water is everything in terms of swimming. Braden has come, as you said, from a kayaking background. But, you know, when you come from a kayaking background, you're still learning how to scull. You're still learning how to do a catch. And so I'm sure you can transfer that. Anybody that's done a lot of surfing as well can actually improve their swimming immensely because, again, it's catching the water as you're going out into the waves. So he's probably learned from that point of view. But, you know, at the same time, I mean... If you, if you look at um, Hamish Carter, Hamish never came from a swimming background either. He came from a rowing background, but he improved his swimming so much that in his day, we could get him out of the water in the top three in any field in the world. So it's just time and water, and if you work at it hard enough, and if you are that committed about it and that focused about it, and if you, you, know, if you practice what you preach and, and look at the YouTube videos and go out and actually do it, I think you can change, mm. but you have to have that ability to change. Mm. Uh, the other thing that's got a big tradition down there are the team races. Uh, we saw Hayden Wild out there when I say jogging, still running, I think, a low 70-minute half marathon last year, which was great for the locals after having won a bronze medal at the Olympics. His coach, former um, Commonwealth Games marathon runner Craig Kirkwood, be out there on the course, former athletes like Clark Ellis. I mean, it is a really good way to get involved in the event and maybe dip your toes into triathlon. And we often see a lot of the team competitors come back the following year and do it individually. 100%, 100%, that's exactly right. But, you know, as I said, it's a, it's now the Fulton Hogan Mount Festival of Multisport, and there's four different events on here. So there's, you know, as we said, the Tauranga Half, the Aquabike, at the same time you've got the um, Half Marathon and then the Ocean Swim. But you've also got these teams' events doing the Half Ironman itself. And so you've got people that are pure swimmers going out there, people that are pure bike, bikers and then runners, and then some of them are actually doing two out of the three disciplines. And then next year they do step up. And it is a great way to start um, from, from that point of view and get involved in a team. And, and we see that so often. Mark Bone, long black, no sugar. I'll see you at six o'clock tomorrow morning. Sure will. See you then. Thank you, Mark Bone, joining us on the programme, former national swim coach. Yeah, those team events have seen some great athletes over the years. Uh, boy, we've had um, Lewis Clairbert. Now you go back to the days. Um, yeah, a lot of, I'm just trying to remember some of the swimmers that we've had over the years. Moss Burmester has done it. Um, I think we've even had Daniel Loder. We've had some outstanding runners, uh, some standing cyclists, great names in their own right, the likes of the Julian Deans who rode the Tour de France, all been involved in it. But it really is a wonderful festival taking place tomorrow, the Tauranga Half. Special thanks to Mark Bone there. It is 17 and a half minutes away from 4 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. 13 minutes away from 4 o'clock. If you're, if you're um, heading to the Hamilton Sevens, uh, have a good time, man. Dress up, go hard, enjoy it, um, ignore the do-gooders. They shut the one down in Wellington and they basically shut it down here in New Zealand. So go out on a bang, guys. Enjoy this Wellington Sevens. Good luck to the men's and women's New Zealand Sevens teams. Uh, end of an era, end of a chapter in New Zealand sport. Plenty of live tennis to look forward to from the Aussie Open over the weekend. Uh, but the weather has finally cleared here in Auckland, so I'd imagine a lot of people are going to be out there riding their bikes, out running, out swimming, playing touch, playing 
seven-a-side football, playing all those wonderful little hybrids of our main sports that allow us later in life to go back and um, relive our childhood a little bit. I find myself playing a bit of seven-a-side normally on a Friday night. Can't play tonight due to Tuatara commitments, um, but thoroughly enjoy it. Thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I find that the brain and the body are about two seconds out. So a guy has the ball. I think I need to step right. He steps right. Two seconds later, I step right. But at that point, he's already gone up through the middle and scored. And that comes with old age. So you've got to work a little bit harder on your flexibility. Uh, but look, I've got to say, thoroughly enjoyed working uh, this week. It's been uh, interesting. I've worked with really, really good people. I've enjoyed the positive texts and responses that we've had. I've enjoyed living rent-free inside some people's heads. Um, don't let me live rent-free inside your head. I tell you what, it must be good though. In all seriousness, I say this. You know, if if I'm living rent-free in your head and I've wound you up, stand back and go. Life's actually pretty good, man. The only thing I've got to worry about is some moron on the radio with an opinion. Life's got to be pretty damn good. So if I'm your biggest concern, pat yourself on the back because things are going well. We've got the great Kimberly Downs. We've got Mitchell McLennigan coming up, um, taking you home between four and seven. Certainly I will be listening after I've taken a quick dip at Parnell Bars and gone and smelt the excellence and inspired by all the people I've spoken to this week, realising that, yeah, you don't get good sitting on the couch. You can't buy your way to the front. You can't talk your way to the front. Right, we will take one more break. Don't go away. We'll get Mitchell McLennigan in studio. We'll find out what they're doing. We'll set the scene. They will then take things to another level between four and seven. Four and a half minutes away from four o'clock. I tell you what, it's about to go up another level. They are about to light it up after four o'clock. Kimberly Downs, Mitchell McLennigan with all the sport on your drive home. Mr McLennigan joins us in studio. Now, you've just come back from, what, Australia? You've had a little bit of a dabble over, over yeah, there I've been in the a big Rossi. bash. Yep, yep, yep. I've been um, doing 10 days PD coaching with the Stars, Melbourne Stars. So, um, yeah, don't judge me that we, we lost a game, an uh, unlosable game, the other night against the Renegades. So that wasn't me. Okay, I'm looking after the bowling, not the batting. And how was the bowling? Uh, the bowling was actually all right. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. okay, mate. It yeah, was okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I was just going to get some experience and just shadow the coaches over there. Bloody awesome. Dave Hussey, um, Clint McCoy, a couple of Australian greats. So, yeah, good experience. But, they, I mean, you go there with pretty good credentials, though, mate. It's not like you're going there, me. It's not like me going there. I mean, you still played at the highest level yourself. I'd like to think they welcomed you in. Oh, no, they were great, mate. They were bloody awesome. Um, so, yeah, no, that was great, mate. Really good to get over there. The weather was good. So, uh, who are in the Melbourne Rebels that we should know? Uh, in the Melbourne Stars, there was. Melbourne Stars. Um, My apologies. I yeah, say Melbourne no, no. Rebels because I'm in baseball <laughs> yeah. mode, mate. It's baseball. It's the Melbourne Rebels. Hey, mate, you're, you're telling me you have to do your commentary. Yeah, yeah the Tuatara. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, they had um, Marcus Stornis. Um, they had. Have uh, Zampa, Adam Zampa, yep. guys like that. Um, did yeah, he just miss out on the Indian tour, Zampa? Uh, Zampa did, yeah, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, I read that. So he he's fired up about, about it. it yeah, because he got told, apparently got told six weeks ago that he was going to be on the tour. Hadn't heard anything since, and then, yeah, they binned him off. Yeah. So pretty stiff, eh? Yeah, well, so. I think all you want is communication, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you, you're dealing with people's lives, yeah. and we've all got expectation, and... Yeah, I mean, it's great when you get picked, but it's terrible when you don't get picked. Yeah, so he was saying he reckoned he might be done now. So two and a half years until the next subcontinent tour. So um, there's almost no point. 
Mm-hmm. So interesting, interesting stuff. But uh, mate, we've got a great show today. Actually, uh, I know I, you, I was surprised that you actually talked a little bit of cricket, mate. I like my cricket. Hey? <laughs> it's a, it's a, I, I didn't necessarily like the behaviour and the way maybe cricketers once conducted themselves, but I've always loved the game of cricket. Yeah. <laughs> I've always loved you, mate. Oh, I just got your photo up on the wall. Oh, the, oh Jesus! On my wife's. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure which. Is it on the ceiling? Yeah, it is, mate. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Great. Hopefully you're Dick on top. Taylor She's on, on the my bottom. Beard once. Yeah. <laughs> no, beautiful, mate. Uh, so we've got Ben Sawyer coming on. Um, yep. The the, the White Ferns have named their, their World Cup squad today. Um, we're going to go straight into Donovan Grobler after that as well. He's over with the uh, with Sarah McGlash and then the under-19 girls at their World Cup as well, so straight out of South Africa. Mm. So it's going to be great to hear what the conditions yeah, are like. Sarah McGlash is doing well with the coaching, isn't yeah, she's she? I doing was great, talking mate. to Peter the other night and I wasn't aware of what path she'd taken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of gone under the radar, but she was such a great cricketer for New Zealand. So we're going to hear how that camp's rolling. They seem to be rolling pretty bloody well at the moment, heading towards the pointy end of that tournament. And then Grant Elliott it's also going to join us out of India. We're going to do a live cross. We're apparently going to see his mug on on the screen. So first time, first time in my radio career that we're going to be staring into his eyes through a screen from India. He's an attractive man. He's an attractive man when he when he's groomed yeah. in a platonic way. Platonic way, yeah. When he shaves up, uh, we're going to also another World Cup on at the moment. We've got the Black Sticks, so Absolutely. we're going to get a Mike Delaney out of India as well. Um, talk the Black Sticks. Uh, dropped a couple of games, uh, yeah. and, so. and then a big day tomorrow at Pukekohe with the Karaka two-year and three-year-old million-dollar races. Yep, we've got um, Karaka tomorrow. The the millions. Cracker Millions, so we're going to crack into that with Louis. Um, we'll also ask him how his uh, favourite cricketer, Henry Shipley's going. It's funny, I asked about Henry Shipley with Peter Fulton today because I Did didn't you? know much about him. He's a Canterbury boy, and we actually yep. spent a bit of time on Henry Shipley. Yeah, Great. a bit of injury and well, stuff. Well, Louis sprayed me on air last week, so I might try to fire him up. He, he was saying that I didn't know what I was talking about when I said he wasn't one of the top five all rounders in New Zealand cricket. So oh, yeah, I didn't put, like that. I put my money on you. <laughs> I think you've got just a few more credentials than Louis does when it comes to cricket. There, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll try to wind him up but a little bit quite later. That's a bad on. sledge, isn't it? Really, <laughs> that it, was great. Anyway, Mitch McLean coming up next. Kimberly Downs, who last time I well, she's travelled regularly down to the Tauranga half and cover it for One News. Ryan Sisson's on the start line too, former Olympic Games athlete. Anyway, enjoy the Tuatara tonight. Enjoy the show this afternoon. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you to Robbie. Thank you to Karen. We will see you at some point in the future.